Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. December 5th, 2014 edition of Don't Let It Go Unheard, where we discuss news, politics, and culture from the perspective of Ayn Rand's philosophy. Ayn Rand's philosophy of objectivism, if you didn't know, is the only one that defends and upholds the right to the pursuit of your own happiness. Yes, I mean that. (laughs) Think about it. Uh, I'm Amy Peacock, your host. And joining me, as usual, here in the studio is cartoonist Bosch Faustin. Uh, I have a cold, big surprise, given that I was around family members who were sick last week. I'm sorry to get one. I feel it in my throat. Uh, Hello, everyone. It's, it's actually not too bad right now, so probably you're going to miss it. I'm gonna, I've am gonna. i got a little bit of it now. I'll probably get I, over I it by it. next no, week. I you didn't did. notice no, it? No, I did not. I feel it. Blah. But I have some Sudafed, so that's just going to keep me all amped up for this evening. Is it pseudo-Sudafed or Sudafed? It was the real stuff, and mind you, it's the 12-hour stuff, and I made sure I didn't take it too late, so I'm not up all night. Go over to my blog at DontLetItGo.com if you would like to check out the program notes for today's show. Today's show is entitled, How Can We Make Truth Matter Again?, And those of you who actually go look at the little titles that are posted on Blog Talk Radio, you may notice most of the time I don't title the show until day of. And this week, I actually put the title up there several days ago. And it was because of a conversation that Bosch and I had where he thought really this issue of truth just not mattering to people, which was coming up really in the in connection with the Michael Brown yeah. case, right? That was mostly Absolutely. what you had in mind, yes. That, but then also in general, and I even worry about it in my in my comic where truth, you know, it's as if it's beside the point today. The truth is as if it's we act as if it's beside the point, right? And uh, Michael Brown thing, the, the lies are still flying. The don't shoot hands up is absolute BS. That didn't happen. If that happened, they wouldn't be doing it. His supporters. Exactly. If Michael Brown actually did it, then he would be alive today, right? But he's not. That's right. So that was the kind of inspiration. And then Rush, but, actually, Rush talked about it. And Rush was discussing, uh, he, you know, I've been listening to Rush lately, Rush Limbaugh. I've not been able to listen for years. Just really, he, he really grates on me. 
But he's been very good the last two weeks, even though he slipped up and did something really stupid and arrogant, you know, the old day. But besides that, he's been excellent. His content is always good. But he was talking about uh, basically truth and power versus truth and how the power in this country is trying to redefine what the truth is. They're lying. Well, and, and this is the thing. Those of you who listened to me just kind of moan and groan and complain a few weeks ago, right after I had finished rereading 1984, then you can see. What, what are you looking at? No sound, so someone says. Someone's saying no sound. If you hmm. just refresh everyone. Try yeah, to... people are saying they do. They have sorry, to refresh everyone. the screen. Sorry if you're having trouble yeah, with the sound. Yeah, uh, okay. Um, God, you, the look on your face. I was like, whoa. You made me panic. I just, I, I, hate, when it, I hate when things like this happen. It happens often enough where you're like, what the hell? There's little glitches here and there. And normally it's not global. And normally at least we get a recording. So in any event, do let us know when you have glitches. And also let Blog Talk Radio know if you do have a glitch. Um yeah, so 1984 is what I was talking about. And the whole premise of the party in 1984, the controlling ruling party in 1984, was that they were going to define what truth yes. is. Right. They were going to sever, liars, sever li- the connection between yes. the people and reality. Even liars know the value of the truth. Yes. And they manipulate it. They use it as a weapon. Yeah. And they, they had a saying in there, it was, he who controls the past controls the future. He who controls the present controls the past. Yeah. And they all the time kept rewriting and rewriting and rewriting reality. And so they are doing it. Our leaders and our media are doing it on a smaller scale. But nonetheless, it's the principle is so disturbing that it doesn't matter that it's not on the scale and in 1984. It just shows you what the aspirations of these people are. And it corrupts the entire culture because you got you got a guy like Barack Obama who is a pathological liar. I mean, he is a thorough liar. And he has a bully pulpit. It's a powerful position to, to be in. You know, Yaron Brooke was talking about that on our show a little while back and how important that is. It is incredibly important. I think we... I think we uh, don't think about it that, that much, but it's, it's powerful. And if you have a m- hardcore liar every single day with the power to influence millions, you can do a lot of damage. Definitely. You know, a lot of damage. E- even in the wake of this Michael Brown, I mean, he's just saying all the wrong things. He's suggesting that this is basically it's something that now they can try to nationalize this and try to make it there's a real problem. Well, and then, and then the misinterpretation of what went on in Michael Brown makes it so that when you're looking at the other case in New York, his name is Garner, is that right? Yeah. Yes, Garner. That, that people misinterpret right. that case and see it as an issue of race. Right. And and they and they don't get the real message of that case, which is what we're going to discuss today. So again, go to the blog, don't let it go dot com, check out all the links to the different things that I want to talk about and chime in here at the chat room at Blog Talk Radio. I see a lot of the usual suspects. Just Jean is joining us again. Hi Matt. I see Nielsen, actually Trevor, excuse me. <laughs> I always make that mistake, Rob. And Mindcage, I believe, is a new participant here in the chat room. Welcome, John, Kenny. And I also did see um, our Supreme Court Justice, not (laughs) John Roberts earlier. Um, No, it is not the same John Roberts. John Roberts would probably not listen to my show, I'm guessing. But you can chime in here at the chat room. You can also chime in over at the phones. 760 
888-588-5817. Again, that's 760-888-5817 if you would like to call in and ask a question, give us a comment. If you want to do that, I think there's a little button you're supposed to push to give me a question icon. We've got a couple people on hold over there. Robert and sometimes NYC people just says, listen. Bummer, I want to talk about the film Whiplash, which I just saw today. I think towards the end we will talk. We have some good news at the end. So why don't why don't we just get started? I got a couple just uh, kind of housekeeping things and I'm gonna blast through those really quickly. One is if you're in the Austin area, go see Cyrano de Bergerac. I've got the link over at my blog at don'tletitgo.com. Unfortunately it closes December seventh, which is only two days away. But really, see if you can get in there and go check out that production. When I was in Austin teaching, I went to productions that were directed by this director, and she is excellent, so go check it out. I am jealous of people in the Austin (laughs) area. Then uh, Ayn Rand, Ideal, the novel and the play, is a new book that's going to be released, I believe, in June of 2015. And it's so interesting that... This the cover of this was on Drudge yeah, prominently, prominently for hours awesome. a couple days ago. Uh, I listened to a lecture by Leonard Peikoff this past summer where he was talking about the decision to release this. Ayn Rand apparently wrote this as a novel first and then decided to make it into a play because she actually did think that a play was a the right yes. dramatic form for this to appear in the right fictional uh, you know form. Leonard, but Leonard also gave a taste of people his will enjoy the novel, I think, of, yeah. his, of his intro to it, which is really interesting in terms of uh, uh, dramatization, in terms of uh, I think different ways of visualizing the story and also well, right, right, and yeah. so kind of what what is best portrayed in a novel and what kind of things yeah. are best portrayed in a play and why this would be better as a play versus I'm a novel. Very interesting stuff. So I highly recommend that. I have a link to that over at my blog at don'tletitgo.com. So. Grab that if you'd like. I've already got it on pre-order. Uh, Ayn Rand bot on Twitter. I just have that as a reminder. Maybe people don't know. I've been running the Ayn Rand bot on Twitter for a while, and I just put up a whole new batch of tweets that I stuck together for that. So you might want to follow that if you don't already. And keep in mind, when you donate to this show, you're not just donating to the show. You're also supporting what I do over there with the bot. And it's got... 15,400 some odd followers or something so it's a a slow a slow burn but it's it's growing over there. Selfish minimalism is just a fun little side project. If you even if you don't even know what minimalism is and you're not interested in it then just ignore me. But if you are somewhat intrigued by minimalism but put off by the altruism and the ecological stuff that these guys throw out there, you might like that little blog. Again, the link is over for the program notes for today's show. Okay, so let's get into the stories that all center on this theme of truth and how it seems that more and more people in the culture don't care about what the truth of the matter actually is. And I have one link in regard to the hands up, don't shoot type of protests, and in particular by the St. Louis Rams. Says the NFL won't punish the Rams players for the hands up gesture. Now, when I first saw this story, I didn't read the whole story because I was probably like gagging or something. But it turns out there were only five of the players. It wasn't like the entire yeah. team still, did it, but it was five five players who did this. And as I understand it, the facts as determined by the grand jury, he never 
did the hands up, don't he shoot. He never did that. He called him, he called him, uh, you mind if I use it? Go ahead. He called a cop a pussy. Mm-hmm. He said, you won't shoot me. You're a pussy. He threatened the cop. He wanted to take the gun away from the cop. He was a thug. He was hopped up on drugs. He was, uh, he ran him from 20 feet away. He was looking for trouble and he found it. He did not say, hands up, don't shoot, because if he did, he'd be alive today, period. So the NFL decided that players on the team can use the spotlight they have, thanks to the NFL, to make this sort of political statement. Of course, NFL, at least, you know, nominally, you know, there's so much government and business intertwined today, but the NFL properly is a private organization, and if the NFL wants to allow players to make a certain type of political statement, that's fine, but we can judge that statement. So they have the right to do it, but we have the right to judge them, and to have these athletes who know absolutely nothing about the facts of the situation, were they sitting there with the grand jurors and reviewing the evidence? It's, it's just they want to believe what they want to believe, and that will override anything and everything. They need to believe that America is racist at large. They need to believe that. Even though these guys are incredibly successful black men, multimillionaires, playing the game that they love. This is the culture that they live in. There's a black president, black attorney general, Oprah Winfrey, Michael Jordan. It's, it's, we're past that. Yep. And they, they're pretending that it's we shall overcome now. Now, listen to this. Listen to this guy. This is the tight end, Jared Cook. I, I I don't know. I'm laughing, but I should not be laughing at all because it's just sad. He says, I just think there has to be a change. He says, there has to be a change that starts with the people that are the most influential around the world. Of course, he sees himself as one of those. Wait, who's this? This is tight end of the St. Okay. Louis Rams, Jared Cook. Jared, Jared Cook. Jared Cook. And then continuing, he says, no matter what happened on that day... No matter how the whole situation went down, no matter. there has to be a change. End quote. <laughs> yeah, well, just speaking of that, you know. Talk, uh, talk about deceptive, right? Course. Because the whole idea is, well, I, I mean, just by him saying that, he is telling you he knows that the situation did not go down such that Michael Brown was putting his yes. hands up and saying, right? So he doesn't care how it went down. He's going to use the public's misinterpretation I'm so right. of this event to push whatever agenda that he has. And, of course, what he's doing is he's trying to say this thing that didn't happen but you might believe happened if yeah. a lot of us you know, put our hands up this way. And I have a platform here. This, this we're going to pretend that it's evidence for a problem that we are pointing out, no. which is that there's this continued horrible discrimination. The, yeah, the white cop was hunting uh, Michael Brown. He yeah. hunted him down and killed him. Right. That's they, they need to believe that. And why would someone need to believe that? It just tells you something about what they have to believe about the culture. And this idea that, you know, we were slaves, we, these four players were slaves, I mean, it's, it's over. Yeah. And do they talk about the slavery happening today in Africa? Blacks being slaves, you know, being slaves to Muslims. Do you speak about that today, 2014? No, nobody would do that. Nobody. Also, one thing, uh, expert racist uh, Michael Eric Dyson said that we need cosmic kind of change. If anyone knows uh, Michael Eric Dyson, he's the most, he's the biggest blowhard racist on television. Wow. He's overly educated. He creates words on the fly. And my thing is, uh, you know, in, 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 in terms of change, we need to be as intolerant of black racism as we are of white. 
racism. And these guys just they have a field day. Robert NYC in the chat room says the NFL's Ray Rice's wife should have told her husband, hands up, don't beat me in the elevator. Mm-hmm. They've got That's much right. bigger problems than this. Um, I would say that any time you think that you don't have to deal with the truth, I mean, or you, do you want to make the truth into something else, then you're probably dealing with force in some way. And the, also one thing, though, the truth is not good enough, you know what I mean, for their purposes. It's like the truth didn't really give us anything right now. So let's say he put up his hands, and let's say he said don't shoot, and let's say he's a gentle giant. Let's say he's a sweetheart. Because the truth is he's not. He's a thug. Well, and, and, and here's the thing, right? You can tell also what the agenda is because they get behind this guy, Michael Brown, but they're not going to get behind Garner in New York. Why? Because this, they just get to make it based on race, whereas the Garner story has something real to it. Right. As I said, we're going to get to in a minute. And you can tell that this is entirely race-based, right? Because in general, the St. Louis Police Officers Association called for the players to be disciplined and wanted them to have an apology, whereas apparently a subgroup of the St. Louis Police Officers Association, namely the black police officers, said, no, we think that what they did is commendable. So everybody's interpretation of this, of what happened, of how it's appropriate to act, or at least how it's appropriate to portray what happened, is based on race. It is. As ugly as that is. And it's on skin color. It's on pigmentation. And and as any person who's concerned with the truth knows, race has absolutely nothing to do with ability to interpret the truth. Zero. At all. Unless a racist believes, unless, you know, like people who... Because if, if, if you notice, it was five players. It wasn't one individual player doing that. Hands up, don't shoot. It was five players. It was the Black Caucus in Congress. You know, a number of them came out. In Congress is even more pathetic. These are supposed to be representatives of the people, not of black people, of Americans. And they go out there as black representatives of the black community and go out there, hands up, don't shoot, before they make their, their little mini, mini speeches. But again, they're doing it collectively. Like you don't find an individual doing that. Like there, there's not one ramp player. that says, guys, we gotta do this. If we do something this stupid, we gotta do it together so we don't you know, we don't get all the flack. You know I mean, we can all get no, but that's what they're thinking probably. Right. That's what happens when the the collective gets together. Well, and and it's since it's a collectivist agenda that they Absolutely have, then right. you definitely need a collective. Which is to, racism. It's a collectivist agenda to push it. State defiance over here in the chat room says that it's not the public's misinterpretation of what happened; it's the corrupt media's. Misinterpretation. Well, they are pushing this misinterpretation. They are vested in this. Um, I don't want to. Anyway, the NFL president of communication said, quote, we respect and understand Hmm. the concerns of all individuals Hmm. who have expressed views on this tragic situation. Um, It's not that they're expressing. You are providing a platform for these people to express a very wrong view. And also maybe prompt them to do something violent. I mean, what other falsehoods are they going to let these guys stand up there this, and portray but this also, this on the shoe, NFL's dime? Shoehorning politics into sports. There yeah. was a Muslim football player who actually went to the end zone and started praying to Allah. And I guess he wasn't punished either. So now it's anything goes now. Right. Anything goes, unless uh, maybe a football player goes out there and tells the truth. Then it's a whoa, 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 whoa. You know, we'll have to ban him 
Well, who is it that wasn't allowed in football commentary? Limbaugh, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because he told the truth about something, and it ended up being absolutely true. Right. And, and his colleagues, you know, I agree with Rush. Within a week, he was fired. It took him a week to realize how wrong he was. <laughs> you know, it took him a week. Now, this, I think, is even more disturbing in terms of a reaction to Michael Brown. The Department of Education, according to Front Page Magazine, has supported classroom memorials to Michael Brown. Again, this is the guy who, on a video, you saw him stealing, what was it, cigars from a liquor store? cigarellos, long cigars, and and shoving the store owner, shoving him, a thug, through and through, and he has supposedly a criminal record as well. I don't the, know the extent of it, but he has a criminal record. There is a there is a photo that's going around on Facebook, and I didn't link to it at the blog, but I probably should have. And it's somebody holding up a sign saying, "Mothers shouldn't have to worry about their sons getting killed every time they rob a store." And that was a real one, or was that a joke? I think it was a real one. I think you're right. I think you're right. I, I think it was that. a real one. I thought it was now, joke mind you. I don't think that robbing a store should get you the death penalty. But, again, if you rob a store and then you also resist arrest... Yes, and fight and go after the cop and try to get his gun... Then there's a chance that the guy's going to use deadly force in order to defend himself. That's just what there is. So, you know, I I didn't want to talk about Ferguson, but this idea of people just evading what happened... So, here, let's... State Department says that that placard was, was photoshopped. I hope so. Because, I mean, I've seen some stupid placards. Was it photoshopped? That's, that, that, well, then I am just... definitely glad I didn't stick it in my program <laughs> notes because I saw it floating around Facebook. People need to have respect for the truth on Facebook, too, and give me a little thing because you so, can't so tell whether like something Matt, is the onion or not. Matt, yeah, Matt, Matt says here um, he's sick and tired up here and how he was unarmed. It's true. Like I, I think basically they were trying – the gist was white cop shoots down unarmed black man. You know what I mean? And but I mean, if Darren Wilson wasn't able to get the gun away from him because he was he was successfully kept the gun away from him, it would have been an entire di- di- different story. If the if the Michael Brown got the gun, who knows? He would have shot the cop dead. Exactly. And then maybe shot someone else dead that night. Who knows? So this unarmed BS. He was the one who attacked the cop. The the fact that you know you think oh I, I don't fear deadly force or severely injuring force from somebody who is unarmed, that's garbage. Absolutely. You know, depending on the relative size and strength of yeah. somebody. They say a guy with a knife 10 feet away, 15 feet away, can slice you up to ribbons, even if you have a gun, if, you don't know, if, if you're not ready for it. They can just come right up before you know it. So a friend of ours, Mark Tapson over here at Front Page Magazine, says that within days of the shooting of Brown in August, a professor of science and education named Christopher Edmund posted a piece for Huffington Post entitled, quote, Five Ways to Teach About Michael Brown and Ferguson in the New School Year. And then it was tweeted by White House AMAF-ED, I don't know, just after Thanksgiving. It included the acronym for In Case You Missed It, indicating that the administration thought that the article's content was important and valid enough to bring to people's attention once again. And then it says, what is AMF-ED? And I am asking, too. He says, it's the U.S. Department of Education's Initiative on Educational Excellence for African Americans. <clears throat> so basically they are urging Race-based. people, they are urging people to teach misinterpretations yes. about Michael Brown Look, they're, and Ferguson they're committed, in school. They're committed to saying this guy was a, a sweetheart. He was an absolute sweetheart. And he just got shot dead by some white cop on a rampage. They need to believe that. 
And it's, again, people who need to believe this, pretty sick people. And again, the truth is not good enough for what they wanted. So therefore, they have to make up, make up some lies. Says it is imperative. This is Edmund over at the Huffington Post that Tapson is quoting from. Quote: It is imperative that teachers find a way to bring this issue into the classroom. Otherwise, Edmund says, we are losing opportunities to make powerful connections. You mean to tell lies successfully? Yeah. You get Propaganda? emotional, emotional, Myths? emotional awareness, empathy, and other skills necessary <laughs> to be informed citizens. So, you know. I don't I don't know who the kind of virtuoso teacher is that's going to not exactly lie but try to create emotional connections that imply that something wrong was done by Officer Wilson. And all you need is some kid to say, excuse me, he robbed a store right before there. A guy called the cops. That's why the cop was looking for Michael Brown and so on and so on. That's all you need in that in that classroom. A kid just to tell the truth, and it cracks the story, and then people start saying, "What? Yeah, he'll get maybe shot it down, but that's all. That's all you need." I mean, first of all, I don't think kids younger than high school should even not. be exposed to this stuff not. in school. Of course not. But they're, again, they need to build this myth now while it's hot. They can't wait till you know a month or two, then it'll be over. They need to build the myth that we are still a racist, slave-owning country. I mean, we're we are still slave owners. I mean, you know, of course, right? I mean, of course, yeah. And here's uh, Emden, sorry, Emden is the uh, pronunciation, the correct pronunciation of the name here. It says, he recommends that students create a memorial to Brown on a classroom bulletin board to, quote, honor Michael Brown and other people who have been victims of police and other violence, end quote. So this is a guy, and as Tapson writes, who initiated violence against a cop after strong-arming a local shopkeeper in the commission of a crime. This is who they want to this glorify. Is the men, this is the man who Emden and the Department of Education want to hold up as an inspiration for youth of color. Now, I bet you any money they would not hold up this guy Garner as any sort no. of an inspiration. And that's the truly revealing aspect of this. So... Uh, that was just another argument against government schools, by the way, as well. Government schools, as you know, are the bane of the existence of people on this show. Well, almost like Obama plotted with Al Sharpton and other racists the old day mm-hmm. in order to try to push this, to try to build this new myth. And you know that that's what they were doing because the word is that we don't know exactly what they were talking about, but this is you know that that's what, what they're talking about. Let's get it in the heads of the youth right now. So is their idea they want everybody to be against the police force and sure. then they're just going to send out the military to subjugate all of us? Or they're I mean, gonna, don't they want the police all, to all poli- enforce all their horrible laws? Well, Eric Holder, the scumbag that he is, says something along the lines of uh, that the cops are occupying certain areas of the country. Uh, the occupation of cops of black neighborhoods. Um, and, you know, this idea of black neighbors also, I mean, what's with this self-segregation, you know? It's like they were against segregation, and now they segregate. Specifically, deliberately, consciously, they build black neighborhoods. And uh, they they use them. I mean, Eric Holder, Barack Obama, they use the black community and neighborhoods to get what they want, whether it be votes or or to push this agenda that this guy was a hero and 
That cop was a typical racist white cop killing, hunting out blacks and killing right. them. Let me get a couple other of these stories in here about the Michael Brown thing, and then I want to take this call that we have here. One is a little video that I think you guys should go check out. It's over at MRC TV, and the headline is, College Students Hold a Die-In for Michael Brown Complain of, quote, Sensationalism of the Protests. And go over, check it out, play the video, watch it for yourself. But what the guy does is he actually takes the people who are leading this die-in. Again, they, they're all pretending. Die-in? Yeah, yeah. They're, they're laying down on the ground for four and a half hours because that's how long that Michael Brown's body was on the ground for four and a half hours. And it's so funny because the guy's asking the woman, he's saying, you know, um, do you know why the body was there for four and a half hours? Uh, the guy, you know, the medical guy who was going to go get the body said that it was because there were gunshots being fired and he didn't feel safe enough to go get the body. And the woman was unmoved. She wasn't persuaded. <laughs> um, but the, the, the thing that is funny and the thing that actually made the headline at Drudge and got me to click on this damn thing was that they're holding this protest, this little die-in where they're supposed to lay there and pretend to be dead, but they couldn't stay off their cell phones. They had to keep checking their cell phones. So imagine there's all these people pretending that they're dead as a protest, and they're all checking their so phones. So they couldn't even yeah. commit to that. They couldn't even commit to that. No, no. And, you know, do they do they actually know what's going on? You know, again, here there was the guy, the tight end at, at St. Louis, and he mm-hmm. says, Whatever happens, we're going to be using it as fuel for our fire. Exactly. Whatever happens, it doesn't matter. We we, we don't care what actually happens. Michael Brown doesn't matter. However it went down. Michael Brown is a symbol, period. He he doesn't matter to these people at all. They don't give a rat's ass who he was, what he was, doesn't matter. He was a gentle giant, and he got gunned down by the man, even though the man is black in, in the White House, you know, Barack Obama. He's the man. But that's their idea. They need to believe this. They need to believe they are living in the 60s. And there was a, a simple little, uh, you know, there, there was a movie called uh, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner with, with Sidney Poitier in the 60s. And he had mm-hmm. one exchange with his father and says, they got to a hardcore argument about something. He goes, Dad, you think of yourself as a black man. I think of myself as a man. And this is the 1960s. This is 50 years ago. Right. That was what was... Now that, that was that was revolutionary Absolutely in the movie then. no doubt about it. But now... But what I'm saying this, is... This should be no, commonplace. But, yes. It's been accepted. you got actors now, not just black actors. You have actors who happen to be black. Denzel Washington is a movie star. He's an excellent actor. He plays in movies where no one ever mentions his race. He doesn't. No one else does. You know, just... He's a star in this movie. And that's it. There's no, whether he's involved with a white woman, a black woman, whatever, it doesn't matter. He's Denzel Washington, actor. There's no more necessary, to, well, black actor this, black best black actor, no. And I just need to keep reverting back to a time. It's like they want, they need to believe that America is fundamentally racist. Well, they and need and to believe and that. And again, Obama is not up for re-election. No. He is not trying to support a midterm election for any fellow Democrats. He's just coming out. So I mean, prepare no more. for more oh, of yeah. stirring up this stuff. And as I said, certainly don't expect someone like Obama to get behind a garner because there's an actual real story there yes. having to do with rights that we will talk and about. And well, let, let me just, before I take this caller, because I want to grab the caller here that we have, I'm going to contrast 
two athletes. Of course, one is a former athlete who's now a commentator for basketball, and then the other is a currently playing basketball player whom I followed on Facebook and Twitter until I saw this tweet that I posted for you over at my blog at DontLetItGo.com. But the first, the good news is Charles Barkley. Charles Barkley has had the proper interpretation of what happened in Ferguson. He realizes that Michael Brown was a criminal, that the police officer was doing things to reasonably defend himself in the situation. He realizes that he's not going to second-guess the grand jury because, as far as we know, there was nothing corrupt that went on there. And he called the rioters, the Ferguson rioters, the people who used this you know, non-indictment as an excuse to go out and loot and riot and destroy businesses, including businesses owned by fellow blacks. The, the, the one woman who saved her kind of life savings, she poured her life savings into a bakery. Yes. And it got totally looted and destroyed. That was one of the worst stories. I'm yeah. very glad that she had an Indiegogo or Kickstarter that just went through the roof. I mean, through the roof. Love it. Incredible. Love it. But it is horrible. That's that she America had, right there. She had to watch her business being destroyed by her fellow residents of Ferguson before her eyes. Why? Because they're getting angry about something that they should not have gotten angry about. No. Because they're... It, not willing to see what the actual truth no, of the situation again, is. Again, they're, they're committed to the idea that America sucks and it's racist and that's it. No matter what, no matter what America is. Right. It, it doesn't matter what America is. It doesn't matter who Michael Brown was. Just they're, they're committed to this. And reality clearly doesn't affect them. Right. The truth does not affect them. And that's why when you have a guy like Charles Barkley saying this, it cracks. It puts a big dent in the mythology to the point where a CNN person, like, after he speaks, like... <sighs> they can't even take it. And, they're sighing. And, they couldn't I mean, believe it. Time Magazine has the follow-up, which is that Charles Barkley stands by yes. calling Ferguson rioters scumbags. And, and then he, he actually says, uh, and he apologized. Says the, the cops are awesome. He did apologize on TNT. And, you know, Barkley, he's not the smartest guy. He's not the most articulate guy, but he's he really, I think, believes in the truth as far as he can see it. And that's where that's where he goes from. He goes from the gut in that sense. And but when he listens to him a little too long, discuss it, then he starts to, you know, water down his his position. But he goes, look, maybe I shouldn't have called them scumbags. Sorry for that. Well, you should call them scumbags because they are. You don't have to back down on that. You don't have to. I mean, what is more scumbaggy in the world than burning down violence? I mean, they're they're. I mean, scumbag is a is, is a very Absolutely. moderate term to use. To describe people who are violent. So he didn't have to, but whatever. I like that he doubled down because when he was asked again, he he was on some local radio station thing in in Philly, and uh, the white host kept trying to say, "Yeah, but isn't there like tensions between blacks and white cops?" I mean, he kept trying to bring all this all this crap, and Barkley right. kept yeah, deflecting. And, and, and apparently Barkley in this new interview he dismissed as quote ridiculous. Yes. The notion that they're quote just killing black people. Yes, white cops and are just this is what he said. People. He said the cops are awesome. Barkley told CNN. And he says the only uh, they're the only thing in the ghetto between this place being the wild wild west. So he's basically saying they're the only thing that's standing between this ghetto becoming the wild wild west. Right. Yes. So um, I'm I'm still not even saying that right. We got to get the grammar on that <laughs> much better. Well, he didn't say. It. He says, says, quote, we've always had a racial issue in this country, and the biggest problem is is that we never discuss race until something bad happens. 
He says, we never have meaningful dialogue over a cold beer when things are going good. One thing, okay. In all seriousness, in all respect to him also, which I like what he did, there, there's no such thing as, as a uh, conversation about race. What does that even mean? Let's talk about pigmentation here. Let's talk about skin color. Well, I no, think what on, he wants to talk no, about is no, but, no, but how about. people use it as a proxy no. in an irrational way, yeah, right? Yeah, but what, no, what I'm saying is let's talk about race. There's nothing to talk about. You talk about the way people react to race. You talk about racists. You talk about what they've done, what they're willing to do. Here, look at my skin color, Bosh. <laughs> mine's like more olive than yeah, yours. mine's a little darker. Yeah, you know, when, when I go out in the sun, I think I uh, tan, and yeah. I think you kind of... This is a great conversation. You kind of burn more. Yeah. Yeah. This is a yeah. And look, I, I mean, got that. I got that well, very know, white skin, patch over you know, here where the dermo just skin like defines us. pulled yeah. out a mole. You know, you know that, right? I mean, it's yeah. skin defines us. It does. But what I'm saying is, there is no conversation to be had about skin color at all. There isn't. No. Now you want to talk about the way people racists see it, view right. it, act and I, on and it. I think, and I think that's what I he guess, wants to talk about. I guess. I guess. But you know, it's it's like uh, Eric Holder saying. We're cowards. We don't talk about race. Well, I think we talk and, I mean, far too much about it. You know, it. all of all of the left's hot and button issues, we don't talk about it until something bad happens, and it's something that people are upset about. And so then the media and our politicians can take the fact that people are upset and, about uh, something and, just, and twist oh, it. Oh, yeah. This is, their, this is their life. Right. So, you know, Barkley is right. It's like, why don't we have these conversations about, for instance, gun control, not right after See, a school I think, shooting. I think I've given right? Charles Barkley too much credit. Uh, you know, he's good. He was good on this, but I don't even know what that means. I mean, seriously, it's like let's talk about the Michael Brown case before it happens. Let's talk about white cops and and black thugs. And I I don't I don't care to have the conversation. You know, I don't care what color you are. If you're a thug, you got to be brought in. I mean, you if you stole something, you got to be confronted, <laughs> brought in. It doesn't matter right. what color he was. The the idea that we have to consider the guy's color, it's like right now, cops who are, maybe there's a black guy just, just, who just committed a horrific crime, right? It's a cop out there saying, i got to be extra, 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 extra careful here to make sure that this doesn't go to hell. And I don't, you know, but they might think twice is what I'm saying. They might be cowed. Message, they might get themselves killed. Message to all cops. I was going to say, please don't be cowed. Please defend saying. yourself as needed. Defend don't yourself. be swayed by this. You know, it, your your job. Don't go is, overboard, obviously. No, but some just, some of them yeah. do, and look, yeah. that's a problem also, right. and we can discuss that. Right. But this idea that uh, these guys have to think a hundred times be- while they're thinking might get themselves killed. I mean, it's 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 like our troops overseas as well. The impossible <sighs> rules of engagement that they have. But anyway, let me get to the. And that's thing exactly that, what I think the end the end game is here the, to control the cops to the point of that being totally ineffective. But ineffective only against blacks. Yes, exactly right. right. So, so let me show you what really disappointed me. And again, go to my blog at don'tletitgo.com. You get the links to all this stuff, including this embedded tweet. That was very high tech of me to embed the tweet. <laughs> but it's a tweet from Kobe Bryant, whom I've admired as a talented basketball player, yeah, and I too. have followed him. And there's a lot of things that I, he said, mostly non-political, that I've liked. And then he comes in after Ferguson, and this is what he writes on his tweet. Now, you said you had seen some quote from him in an interview where he said this is going to keep happening or something. But, Maybe. But here's the substance of the tweet. He says, I think they were actually quoting this. He says, the system enables young black men to be killed behind the mask of law. And then the tags are Ferguson, tipping point, and change. 
Oh. Change. Change. So, so he's, Change. he's basically like implying that this event was the thing, like the straw that, that breaks the camel's yeah. back. This is a very important thing. It's the thing that shows people that there's this horrible system that is enabling young black men to be killed behind the mask of law. I'm sorry. He doesn't know anything about this Nothing. case, and he is irresponsibly Completely. tweeting about and it. He, he got and how many retweets? Dude, did he oh, I mean, right here, I don't know if it stayed the same since I embedded it several hours ago. It was over 20,000 retweets by ignorant people, over 16,000 favorites over there And again, this is a, on a guy who's world famous, 20 years playing in the league, multimillionaire, he lives did, a good life. He did not become the player that he is by evading reality, by refusing to recognize by reality. To work he, did, he did not just recover from the horrible injury that most basketball players never come back they from. They retire. Especially this at his age. Especially at his age. Athlete. With the number of, you know, and, and Barkley always talks about the number of miles this guy's got yeah, on his knees mileage, and everything else. Yeah. He is. I mean, <sighs> anyone who speaks about the system, though, in my experience, yeah. people who speak about the system, it's like, uh oh. You know, we got a live one here. Right. A real imbecile. The system is such a generalization. There's like there's this controlled system. We need to kill black men and uh, let their murders get away with it. That's the system. Mm-hmm. It's it's in place. You know. So yeah, Kobe. And that has to be changed. I know you listened to our show, but I unfollowed you. So now that we're me too, it's pathetic. Yeah. Now that we're done talking about Michael Brown, or at least I'm done with what I had to say. I want to see. If this caller has anything to say. Hi, who's this? Hi, Amy. It's Debbie. Debbie, sorry to keep you waiting for so long. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. So, um, yeah, I I wanted to point out one thing um, related to the shooting. It's my understanding that Michael Brown tried to take the gun of the police officer right. who eventually shot him. So I read an interesting book about a year ago called Into the Kill Zone, and it's a lot of first-hand accounts of police officer-involved shootings. And uh, one section of it was written by a former police officer, and one section of the book was about situations where someone tries to disarm a police officer. And what this guy said, you know, kind of going through different scenarios of when an officer confronts an armed suspect, they may or may not shoot, that kind of thing. But one thing he said was, if the suspect tries to take your gun, if he reaches for to disarm you, you're dead. Right. If he gets your gun, that's the kind of situation. Like, if, if it's somebody else with their own gun and you're not sure what's going on, it may or may not end up being that they're going to fire but if they reach for your weapon, you can't let them get it because you're dead. They intend to kill you if they take your weapon from you, statistically. And I thought that was worth pointing out, um, that given the fact that Brown did try to take that co- – and I'm guessing that they teach cops things like this in their training. Right, exactly. I was, just, I was just thinking about that, yeah. Indicates to me that overwhelming likelihood was that Brown's intent was to kill that cop. Um, and the cop probably knew it. So um, just for whatever that's worth. I mean, it's kind of beating a dead horse because from based on the facts that have been released from the grand jury, it, it looks pretty overwhelmingly apparent already that um, that the officer 
officer was right to shoot Brown and that he was doing it uh, in self-defense. In self-defense, yeah, exactly. So how upset were you at the widespread misinterpretation and just total evasion of the truth about this case? Oh, you know, I'm, I, I think I'm probably as horrified as you are by it. Uh, one thing that bothers me about it the most is that, well, God, there's a lot of things that really bother me about it. One of the things that bothers me about it is, so justice was actually done in this situation. An innocent man defended himself, and, and I don't know what his life is going to be like from now on because he's being nationally demonized by people, and I can only imagine what kind of hell he and his family are going through. He, you know, he was rightfully acquitted, but cop who shot the uh, Michael Brown. And so that's good. I mean, at least he didn't go to prison or, or something like that for killing someone um, for murder when he didn't, when he was innocent. But uh, I just don't know what his life is going to be like from now on. And it, it, the way this thing keeps getting stoked. So that's a horrible act of injustice towards the top. Biggest yeah. concern I have is that I think this is the kind of situation if, if police officers were shooting people like that in the way that they're it's being alleged that the cops shot Michael Brown for racial reasons or for any reason. If, if there were cops out there shooting citizens, that would be a very big deal. And that's the kind of thing we would really need to be vigilant about and make a big deal about if that were going on. And so they're cry, by crying wolf like that. Right, it, right. Right. That they're gonna, they're going to desensitize people to it and people are going to brush that kind of thing off as race baiting or as whatever. When, if it really happens, that the police do start to abuse their power systematically. And so um, I think this is doing an enormous amount of damage in that regard. Right, because people are just saying, oh, well, we didn't do anything about it last time, so why get all upset about it this time? And <sighs> just yeah. dismiss it, like the both cry wolf type of thing. Just, oh, exactly. Hearing the... Yeah. So right. um, those are just couple of things that uh, have struck me about it. But, yeah, it's just shocking to me how few people seem to care at all what the facts are. Well, they and just, yeah, and then and then and then Matt here in the chat room talks about the fact this this guy's life is is ruined. Yeah. He he has to go into hiding, and and Robert NYC yeah. reminds us that there was a Times reporter who published his address, and then of course a number of people went and got oh the Times God. reporter's address and published those. Absolutely. Can you imagine publishing yeah. the address? What what kind of horribly malevolent journalist and also publishes paper, an address? They had to go through some editors. Editors, exactly. They said, okay, green light. I mean, that is truly, and, and talk about just a total disconnect from reality. This guy, his, you know, they, they don't know. He could be innocent, and they're putting his life at risk. It's terrible. I'm What I'm hoping, I'm hoping someone rich hired him as a private security Something. detail. I mean, and, that could have been his dream to become a cop. It could have been. Right. And now, you know, he probably can't be, and that's it. But that's what I think. I think that's that's his future is that somebody rich and somebody who knows better than apparently a lot of people hires him as a private security guard saying, oh, well, he was able to defend himself from this attack. That's good. Keep his head about him. You think about Michael Brown and guard. in terms of, of, of the truth and who he is and what is the one virtue he has? 
that his his skin color, because the fact is he's not a gentle giant. He'd not say don't shoot hands up. And he was on a bunch of drugs. He was, he was right? on drugs. But what I'm saying is that's the only virtue he has as far as his supporters go. Right. If his skin color was wrong, quote unquote, he wouldn't matter. This is this is how sick it is. It doesn't matter who he is. It doesn't matter what he did. It just matters that his skin color was a certain hue. And that's right. it. And they'll support him to the death. I mean, that's just pure racism. And anything else, Debbie, before we let you go and take another call? Um, well, I was wondering if these people who keep saying they want change, like Kobe Bryant, as you pointed out, and also that football player, has right. anyone or has anyone indicated anything to the as to what they want the change to be? Like change to what? From what to no. what? It's like Obama, like it's does me. Change, change, change. Whatever that, whatever, yeah. whatever the hell that means. Just something different than what America is. That's the idea. For, from yeah. what I, I was going to say, from what I understand, they're they're kind of getting onto this boat of we need to demilitarize our police, right? They're using this as as some kind of way. I I heard rumblings of some sort of executive order about the police that was sure. maybe going to happen. Um, I think Holder, of course, yeah. blowing some smoke. Maybe well, some Holder's of those. going to create an institute of justice after he leaves, by the way, in the private sector in some capacity. You know, there is the institute for justice. Yes, but I think something he's going mean, to think about this. This this is a criminal. I mean, Eric Holder is a criminal. He should have been knocked out of his job by the by the Republicans. They they held him in contempt only. The only way that you could have Eric Holder and justice in the same sentence is through 1984-style double think. <laughs> yes. Because it's ridiculous to have I mean, justice and his name the, on the same The Department page. of Injustice. I mean, that's what it is. He's, yeah. been, per, you know, he's been impersonating the, uh, the uh, secretary of um, – what's his position? The attorney general? Yeah. yeah. He's, he's been impersonating yeah. the attorney general of the United States of America. Yes. Right. Right. No. So Debbie, no. I, as far as I know, they want to do something that's body basically going to stay. Body cameras on. Oh, cops. body cameras on. And so cops I said, too. why not on politicians also? You know, if you're going to do that, yeah, why not? Politicians. Yeah, put them on Congress. <laughs> yes, and also dr- drug tests for Congress. Pelosi would be, you know, arrested. Well, and I don't, I don't know that body cameras on cops are necessarily a horrible idea, but. If they think, well, the, well, we want to catch them while they're, you know, subjugating blacks or something, I, whatever they think that is going on, the the motivation is is entirely wrong. Also, this idea that blacks can't be racists, right? You know? That just entitles them to become to be racists without any kind of price to pay. Right. It's ugly. Very right. ugly. Right. So yeah, I I don't know. We're gonna have to look to see if there's any concrete proposals made out there. Uh, I would love to see some of them react to this actual case where we think that there was an, a true tragedy, Eric Garner in New York City being killed because of the chokehold. Did you take a look at that case, Deb? Uh, yeah, I did, and, and I agree. I mean, he wasn't initiating force, my understanding, against anyone. He was just selling cigarettes in a manner that violated some kind of regulation or something like that, uh, and, and yeah, and then the, the cops tried to arrest him, and, and he ended up dying, and it, that, oh, that sickens me, and again, I don't see it as a race issue, I just see it as a really disturbing 
overreach of, I mean, uh, well, I guess I don't, too, too much, too much state, I guess. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, real, and we're we're going to go into this in a minute after I get this other call, but yeah, it's definitely an, an entirely different issue than what went on in the Michael Brown case. So go ahead and hang on, Deb, and if you want to chime in again, just go ahead and let us know, but thank you for calling. I'm going to try and take another call here. Hi, who's this? Hi, this is Chad out of New York. Hi, thanks for calling. Thank you. I uh, I'm enjoying your show. I happen to agree with you. Am I live right now or am I in the You are live. Line? You are live. Yeah, we're okay. we're kinda <laughs> we're kinda low tech here in terms of call screening. We're screening our own calls ah, on the fly. Fine. Yeah. <laughs> I'm an e- I'm an easy guy, so that's okay with me. Uh, I wanted to make some comments and also get your thoughts on a couple things and uh, probably what I'm about to say is not gonna make me uh popular <clears throat> depending on the belief system of the people listening to you right now. Okay. But I, I, I do know what's going on. Uh, it's just it's as clear as can be. And the problem, well, number one, I couldn't agree with you folks more. I think there's what appears to be an agenda. I, I don't know. Uh, it, it definitely is a little scary. Now they got a case out in Arizona, is it? Somebody got hurt or shot by another white cop. Um, mm-hmm. And, they, of course, they have to emphasize the white cop hurting any, uh, shooting an unarmed black man. If that's not an agenda enough, I don't know what is. <laughs> I mean, they couldn't say, well, a, a shot from Arizona shot a, a man who happened to be a drug dealer. Oh, no. But anyway, um, I know you guys probably are pulling hair out of your heads as well. We're probably going to see more of this. I, I, I'm guessing. If I'm playing my cards right, I'm guessing that almost in every single state we're going to see a new case come out. So it's something we should well, probably get I'm, used to here, now. Here's the thing, Chad. So statistically... How many cops and how many criminal situations are there across the country every single day? There's tons. So, you know, again, this is selective focus. There's a lot of depression that comes from watching the news. Why? Because the news chooses to focus selectively on things that make you think the world is going to come to an end tomorrow, right? So, I mean, yeah, these cases are all over the place, and they choose to focus on it selectively for a reason. I mean, Ebola, right? Ebola was off of our radar now. And it's Cheryl Atkinson who's actually still keeping us up to date on the Ebola cases. So, you know, there's some some kind of agenda to selectively focusing on these cases. I agree. And and as I said, you know, Barack Obama, he is not going to be up for re-election. He is not trying to necessarily support the candidacy of anybody. He might be kept in check a little bit because there is going to be a Democrat running for president in 2016, and that person may or may not hold something over Barack Obama to keep him from going too nuts, right? But, I mean, otherwise, right. it's he could just push whatever agenda he wants as much as he can in the last couple of years. The Republicans are not putting up much of a resistance yet, as far as we can tell, although I'm still semi-hopeful that there's going to be some fight from them on an issue other than immigration. It's like, why throw all the ammunition into the immigration basket? I have no idea. But, you know, I I just, you know, we're we're just going to have to see about that. But you said you're in New York, right? Well, I'm, I'm actually in upstate New York, um, so I'm oh, okay. a good 300, 400 miles away from New York City, thankfully. But I, but I would say that uh, 
even in our own city, okay, we're seeing agenda push. Actually, we have uh, political systems or political people right now in our city who are pushing uh, a protest of people. And by the way, the people who are post, uh, um, pushing the protest are, happen to be the mayor, uh, people who are supposed to be protecting the police. So something odd is going on. I'm keeping my eyes on a sharp look. Um, but if I had a guess, and you guys give me your thoughts here, if okay. I had to guess, I would say what's going on, what we're going to see in the future, if everybody is thinking, like, what's going to happen now, okay? We're seeing all of a sudden we're seeing case after case after case. Girl gets shot by bing bag uh, shotgun. you got a guy over in Arizona. you got the guy in New York City. and you got the guy in Ferguson, of course. What I think is going to happen is the police are going to get sick of the rioting, and they're going to get sick of the protesting. In fact, there was an article not too long ago where cops are now complaining that they're being thrown under the bus. If I had to guess, in the very near future, what I think is going to happen is we are going to see a nationwide strike, and the police force is going to just say, you know what, if you folks don't like us, fine. We're not going to put our life in danger. Now, I don't think we're there yet. I, think, I don't think there's been enough violence quite frankly, for police to just go on strike. But it may start with a city. We may see maybe Ferguson go on strike. You won't see any police protection. Um, what's going to happen after that, then, of course, you're going to get people looting and violence and probably a lot of a lot of violence. Uh, and there's well, going to be know, nobody it, to protect it may, us. It may end up being, you know, kind of city-by-city city basis, right? So in the cities where the police are treated well and respectfully, then they won't, mm -hmm. right? Can I, can, I, can I add one thing also that uh, Eric Holder suggested? He said something along the lines of, we're going to have to reconsider certain areas, like white areas as sure. opposed to black areas and cops, meaning they're going to try to m make you know, more black cops in black neighborhoods, ones who I guess they, they, they presume would vote for them. And therefore, they're going to have their kind of people. And I'm not just talking about the skin color, but me meaning hard left Individuals in, in uh, oh in, wow in, yeah I mean it's it's possible but but he suggested that he also you know said this idea that cops occupy certain areas in the country this just this is this kind of language it's something that that you'd find right. outside of politics I mean it's something some some, yeah. some freak on a website on the Huffington Post whatever but um, so I don't know that's also something they're clearly planning something they want to check out with uh, kind of irreparable damage. I mean, that's that's yeah. that's what that's what Obama wants. Ultimate is. war, right? I mean, you want you want the if if you're the elite, and you wanted to reduce the population to 500 million, world's population, by the way, how would you do it? You know, you cause chaos. You bring people in. You bring in. You bring in the chaos. You create the chaos, and then you create order out of the chaos. That's exactly I mean, what it seems like is happening. You know, I I don't I don't know how large scale. Uh, Obama and, and his friends want to go with the destruction. I do know that uh, I think Obama would be Please. very happy to reduce us to the status of a poor European country. He wants, look, you he, know. no, he wants us to go third world, but he can't do that quite. Not in eight years, you know. It's, it's just yeah. the, the country's too powerful, too strong still. But I never put anything past him, though. You know, that's the problem with Obama's opponents. They say, well, they give him the benefit of the doubt, and that's the that's been the problem. He's been pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing, causing irreparable damage in a lot of ways. 
And, uh, you know, he could do such damage in the le- next two years. And he looks at the Republicans, and you got Mitch McConnell saying he's really uh, surprised that Obama went so hard left at the election. Well, that's a problem, bitch. You know, because you have to say this guy is as bad as I actually think he is. Stop giving him the benefit of the doubt and start dealing with him on that level. Yeah, people keep doing that with him. Chad, anything else? We've got a couple other callers lined up that we're going to take, but I'll give you the oh, last word. Oh, yes. Yes, yes, I do. Yes, I do. I really meant to get to a more an important uh, point, and and, uh, and forgive me that I'm not trying to belittle what you're trying to do in your show here. I just think this is the utmost important, uh, at least in my worldview. I am a Christian. I believe wholeheartedly that uh, God has revealed himself uh, through his word. Okay, we okay but we, we don't believe that here. No. Actually, we are atheists. Yes. Oh, so you whereas, are. Oh. So whereas you well, and I have some points of disagree, uh, points of agreement here on these political issues oh. and about the fact that they're evading reality on this, uh-huh. we I guess we okay. disagree on that. Can I, can you, I ask you guys a question? Before, sure. Can I ask you guys just a quick couple questions before I go? You can ask one question. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> okay. Well, <laughs> uh, it's interesting that you guys are, you know, you don't meet too many um Atheists on, on a more conservative, you know, level. I, I I don't know how you would define that exactly, but um, you know, they they tend to be um, uh, you know more just free choosing. But you guys sound like you really like white right and wrong. Uh, you're saying you know what Obama is doing is definitely uh, wrong, or at least the way the world's going and uh, the U.S. government it seems to be going in a bad direction. But my That's question, right. I guess, to you is is an atheist, okay? And you're telling the whole, your whole audience this. My, mm-hmm. my question is, though, as an atheist in this worldview that you hold, um, how, how are you justifying uh, the, the good and the bad out of this? Uh, is it just okay. your opinion? No, no, not, a, not at all. I mean, the thing that I think that anybody should be able to do is defend their conception of right and wrong through a mm-hmm. philosophical argument. And the yeah. philosophical argument that I find persuasive is that that was given by Ayn Rand. And there is a, an entire essay describing the foundation for a rational objective ethics. And it's in an essay called The Objectivist Ethics. And you can find that in a book called The Virtue of Selfishness. So um, actually, you can find that essay free online, Chad. You don't even have to spend any money. The Ayn Rand Institute puts this essay out there. It's called The Objectivist Ethics. If you just Google The Objectivist Ethics, she describes the entire foundation, the root of the concept of value, that value is rooted in a fundamental alternative of life and death. Only living creatures face this fundamental alternative, And if we choose to live, we can live only as the type of beings that we are. We are human beings. We can't live like Uh animals that survive by foraging or by force. We have to actually use our reason. We have to use our reason to survive. And so it's our nature as the rational animals, the beings that survive by reason, that brings with it a whole bunch of ethics and the necessity to adhere to reality. Why? Because we survive in reality, only by adhering to the facts of reality. So it, it's it's very Aristotelian. Right, right. Well, okay, but in the in your in your particular worldview, okay, as far as um, you know, ethics and morality and and logic and things like that. Uh, if we're we're evolved, 
why why does certain stardust bother you? Aren't we just stardust bumping into stardust? I mean, Stalin certainly didn't think like us. We're not sharing his so, brain. So, so the idea is, is, is there a meaning of life and all this kind of thing? I, I well, think no, I'm, those... I'm, simply, I'm simply asking, though, how, how in your worldview, you're saying some things are right and some things are wrong, but so did Hitler. He had the same mindset, you know, some things are right and some things right, are wrong. Right, but, but, but you weren't you were, you were, you were, you were listening. See, Hitler, Hitler was choosing to achieve his aims by force. And but you can't only... justify his mind thought. No, but I but That's I, but I can. So so again again go go read the objectivist ethics. The objectivist ethics talk about sure. Uh, sure. basically no achieving your aims only through the use of your own reason wow. and in and insofar as you involve other people, it's by their voluntary cooperation appealing to their rational faculty as well. That is how a true human being survives. That is not how a Hitler survives, mind you. Hitler but Stalin survived, survived in a different way, ma'am. That's what I'm trying to tell you. Stalin survived. He survived in totally by initiating force. He, he he survived by initiating force. He Why was is he thug. wrong, ma'am? Why is he wrong? That's what I'm be- trying to because, ask you. Because again, and I just said, initiating force is wrong. Force. Stops reason. Would you listen to me, please? Otherwise, I'm going to cut you off. Listen to me. If you use force, you prevent people from acting on their own rational convictions. And it is people acting on their own rational convictions that produces the values that we need to sustain our lives. The roof that you are presumably sitting under right now while you're talking to me, the computer that you're talking over to me right now, phone, whatever it is, these were designed through the power of reason. All the values that we use to sustain our lives, to make our lives better, are produced by reason. Insofar as you use force, insofar as you use force, you are stopping reason. You are acting against the engine that sustains human life. And that is what Stalin did and that is what Hitler did. And they can oh. you know, they can pretend they're surviving, but they can do it only so long. They are acting in a in a fundamentally inhuman way. So this is why I said we said earlier, calling people who use force scumbags, I mean that's a very moderate way to put it. I mean these these are the worst, lowest uh, you know, the, the the way you could describe anybody who decides that they're going to live via the initiation of force, I think just go watch the latest Pat Condell video where he apologizes and he apologizes to like the scum that's on top to of the sewage or something. Um, for comparing them with politicians. This, this, is, this is Hitler. This is Stalin. They are not surviving as human beings. They're surviving as the lowest they animal. They also, quote, unquote, survive at the expense of other human beings. Right. That's how they, quote, unquote, survive. So, so, I, yeah, I understand I, so again, there's, there's, there's rules and laws and there's, and there's ways to govern the, uh, the rational mindset. But is rationality and logic, are they material or are they immaterial? They are based, there's, there's, you know, obviously our brains are the material base of our rational faculty. We know that our rational faculty so, is intimately so connected if my brain with fizzes, our brains. Hold on, yeah, so if my brain fizzes a different way, like I'm, I'm fizzing thoughts of theism, your, your brain is fizzing thoughts of atheism, we're clearly two different thoughts. So which we do, one of we us do, is we right? do, we do have different thoughts. And then, and then the question is, do you believe in what Rand and, of course, Aristotle way back when identified as the law of identity. 
that A is A, that everything is, is something. I can justify so the, laws and, of logic. And, right. And so, and so the, what that means is that if I say A and you say non-A or you say A and I say non-A, since I'm the atheist, right? I say no, no theism. Uh, <laughs> w- one of us is right and one of us is wrong. You know, it, does, it doesn't right, mean that I, we can't a, be civil to each other, but one of us is mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I'm sorry. Yeah, our phones no, but, are but, like but, but, but you're, you're, I was going to say, you're, but your your foundation is in faith for anything uh, that is... Well, my, my foundation is based on what I do know, and what I do know is that uh, we need something that's outside of us to be able to govern those thoughts. I mean, for but instance, I, you go back see, to the laws. Hold on, let me let me finish. Hold on, let me finish. If you have well, the laws this, of this, logic, this is, for this instance, is actually, laws of identity, laws of the law I'm of actually going to have to cut you off. I'm really sorry. Um, we did talk for a while. I I was being patient for a while, but when yeah, but I got to so a, so I I, I know Ch- I know Chad that you said that that we need something outside of ourselves. But see, this is the thing. So what Rand does is she starts with the idea that we are here, we are certain kind of beings. There's this concept of value and ethics that's put out there. And she says, do we even need ethics? Is that something we actually need? And if so, why? What does value mean? That's where she starts as the starting place. And she doesn't start with an idea that for sure we have to have something outside of ourselves. Um, there is no reason that any, you know, that I can see why we would need something outside of ourselves to tell us how we should live. We live according to our own human nature. Now, it doesn't mean you can't learn anything from other people. You can certainly learn from people outside yourself. And, you know, whereas I had a very rudimentary idea of an ethics that was generated out of myself when I was a teenager, it was nothing like what I was able to read in Rand and, and fully fleshed out as I was later. I've been an atheist since age 12, so Outside of that's revealing. Yeah. <laughs> it's, like, it's like probably too consciousness, you know? I mean, anyway. Well, no, it's... it's, it's no, what it is, what it is... is no, what like, I'm saying is, is we, we have a morality based in reality. We have to go, quote, unquote, outside of ourselves to, in order to see that, in order to recognize it, in order to understand it, and then, of course, take it in. But what I'm saying is just... That got to a, a place. Well, where... I, I think a lot of it, though, is that the idea that human nature itself is inadequate, and that you need to go somehow beyond human nature no, to that's the idea. get at something that is admirable yeah. and also and moral from a Christian perspective, good. we are tainted. We and, are born evil, right? And therefore, you know, we need something else because we're already corrupt, you know, by right. nature, right? Right. You know, original which, sin. Which again, Rand rejects. So Absolutely. if anybody, if anyone is is seriously interested in pursuing this issue, then I do recommend going to read. From beginning to end, that essay, the objectivist ethics, because so again, I gave some highlights here, when but I, I certainly can't results, do it yeah, as well it's, as Rand. It's not subjectivity; it's objectivity. Looking out critical outside of yourself, I mean, looking right. at reality. Right, but there's there's always this idea that just human beings themselves and and everything that you see in the world and the universe and anything that we're studying. I mean, there's new photos from space every day. That none of this is adequate. Yes, no, no, that, that I they're, know that. No. They're, they're always looking for something behind. I'm just it. trying to, yeah. to. I'm just trying to flip on that when they say you got to go. You know, you got to go outside yourself. Yeah, I do. I look at reality. <laughs> I take it in, and that's how I go quote unquote outside of myself. I'm not stuck <laughs> in my head. I, I don't want. I don't have. You know what I mean? I'm well, not the primacy of consciousness. You know, I'm not, well, I'm and, not the, and then and then the idea. You know, you couldn't even identify consciousness yeah. as consciousness unless you were conscious of something out there also, in the real world. We have atheistic thoughts. We don't have atheistic thoughts. We're atheists. It's not we we don't think about our, our atheism right. consciously. 
we are so off track. We are. But you know, but but, <laughs> no, but we I, did. I we, we brought love. it up in terms of you know caring about truth. As long as they're and polite. It, you know what? You know what as it might be. Polite, which it was until yeah, the end. Oh, no. Started to be a little pushy, but as long as they're polite, we can take any. No, call. and it's fine. And he and he was fine. It's just if it's if it's my show, I didn't no, want was, to give. It was a good way for also to view. on the fly discuss this. No, sure. You know what I mean? Our but, position. But, but w- this, is, this is how I think that this conversation happened. It's that how can we make truth matter? And there's a lot of people who, religious people will say, oh, truth. They mean religious truth. And they also, they, you know, in order to, they, they need to marginalize your position, you know, and where we can do the, the, the well, same on theirs, it, flip side. You know, I, I went this week, I went to Irvine and saw Ankar Gatte speak at the Ayn Rand Institute, and it was, I believe the talk, the talk was titled Religion Versus Freedom. But one of the things that he talked about, and one of the things he was actually confronted with in the question period was very similar, because the questioner assumed that if you were going to have morality, it was coming from religion. Right. And that is a widespread assumption Absolutely. out there. And it is one. I mean, if there's Look, if there's anything that I can definitely do on this show, because I have there's so many fellow travelers that we have who are religious, but if you could just keep in mind that there is a possibility of having a real, robust, awesome ethics that is not based in religion, that is actually only, just based on philosophical arguments you know, looking at reality. The only morality That's I was one thing taught, I would love to communicate to you. The only morality I was taught was Islam when I was a kid. So when I came across Ayn Rand in my late teens, it was incredible. This is a woman, and again, I, I always put it this way, even as a kid, it's a, it's, a rea- it's a morality based in reality, and I found that exciting as hell. I was like, wow. Right. And I needed it big time, and that's what, that's what she gave. But yeah, you're right. There's this need or... Morality can only have a religious base, period, right. or else it's illegitimate. And you got a lot of religious people who try to delegitimize objectivism. Well, you can't really be moral because it's not based on anything outside of you. you know I mean, it's it's all based in science and Hitler and Stalin, you know, and they bring in atheism. Right. You know what I mean? It's like, right. well, atheism means murdering a hundred million people. I mean, that's what that means. Atheism. Well, and, and that was some of the things that Ankar brought up, which yeah. was great, which he says, look, everybody thinks, okay, United States, we have relative freedom and we're more religious. And then you have Europe, who is basically relatively less free and more secular. So isn't it true that religion is associated with freedom? And that's what people think. But literally, it's not yeah. true. And he says, instead, people should think about it as authoritarianism that Americans are less authoritarian even though we have the remnants of the religion the enlightenment was uh, influential on America in a way that it just wasn't in Europe in Europe they rejected it we're more Um, Greco-Roman than we are uh, well at least we used to be than we are uh, Judeo-Christian well, and that founding. and that's what remains to be seen. You know, remember a couple of weeks ago when I got very upset after reading 1984, and then at the same time they said that uh, what's her name, that horrible politician Warren, yeah. was getting the quote rock star reception oh, by yeah. the big donors, yeah, and maybe yeah. she's going to run. And then I was thinking about the idea of her running on envy, yes, and playing on the envy that exists in a substantial substantial minority at Absolutely. least of, of America. So it, it gets scary. But let's let's get through some more stories before I call. I do have another call and I want to take it soon, but let me get through yes. at least yes. the Garner stuff, okay? 
And because I really, really like this piece about the whole Garner situation. And again, Eric Garner, he was uh, killed inadvertently by yeah. a police officer in New York. The police there were a officer, few police officers, but I think one in particular. One in particular had a chokehold yeah, yeah. on which Garner. Is, which is technically illegal in New York. You know, you can't do that as a cop. Right. They tried to get him down. He refused to be, you know, he basically refused to work with them. I think he said this ain't happening again. Something like that. I, I guess he's he's had history of having runners with the with the cops. Now again, the thing Big guy too. The, the thing that he was doing that he was guilty of was not robbing a liquor store. Nope. nope. He was guilty of selling. I think what they call Lucy's. Is that what they call I them? I guess I don't know. Single cigarettes outside of a cigarette yeah. package. That's what he was doing. Store owners were, were complaining about him. Maybe someone called the cops on him. Cause they well, and this is the thing. The store owners who choose to remain legal yes. are subjected to collecting and paying all the taxes. Yeah. So when people want a cigarette, if they just want one cigarette, they don't want to go pay. I don't know if this is really true, but Rand Paul, I saw a clip of him, and he was talking about $5.85 of tax per cigarette pack. Is that possible? I don't know. I mean, I, I mean smoke, that that's I way more. Ago, I remember my mother. I remember my mother exactly. I remember now my mother buying them for two bucks a pack. I just it's six seven bucks. It's just it's maybe, maybe he misspoke and maybe the total price is five dollars and eighty five cents, including know. the tax. I have no I idea. I smoke camels. They were they were delicious. But go on. Yeah, but the point is, there's there's at least I think a, a couple dollars of tax on every cigarette package, and so of course people want to go buy the cheap cigarettes individually from the guy sure. who's doing them on the black market and the blah blah. The big point is is that thirteen dollars. John says thirteen dollars for a pack in Manhattan. Thirteen dollars for a pack of cigarettes. That is just <laughs> ridiculous. I mean wow. there there is nothing that's gonna make you stop smoking more It'll go than to smoke. have to pay that for a pack of cigarettes. So the lesson that you learn from the death of Garner, first of all you, I mean, you, you can get into all sorts of weird things where you say, okay, well, I don't like the law. The law is unjust. But then what do you do if you don't like the law? Yeah. Do you then resist arrest from yes. police officers? Which you did. That's probably not the best way to do it. Nonetheless, the only reason that this happened was because of a totally, completely improper law. Yes. I disagree with the state having any restriction at all on the sale of cigarettes, any authority to, quote, collect taxes on the basis of cigarettes. I mean, it is completely wrong. So this law was totally wrong. Somebody in the comments of this article that I'm about to tell you about said that they thought that the fine for selling these cigarettes, these Lucy's or whatever, as they call them, the individual cigarettes, was like $2,000. That that's the fine that they can okay. collect. Whereas if you possess marijuana, it's a misdemeanor and it's only a hundred dollars. So imagine the steep fines that they're charging for people just selling tobacco, and the relative lesser fines for marijuana, which supposedly we think of as something that's worse than regular tobacco. But oh no, uh, this is from Ilya Solman over at the Volat Conspiracy blog that now is hosted in the Washington Post. Thanks, Washington Post, by the way, yeah. for taking these guys on because you're getting some good Bezos. ideas out there. Bezos from uh, it's, it's Amazon. It's Bezos from yeah. Amazon who does this. You know, this is, you know I, I saw a piece a while ago that was criticizing Amazon as sellouts for doing deals with the government, and the reason is is that now Amazon sometimes uses the U.S. Postal Service to okay. deliver yeah. your packages. Uh-huh. 
And I'm I'm thinking, okay, um, the U.S. Postal Service has a government enforced monopoly, and you're telling I use that too, by the way. I use post office. Yeah, well. I, I, I use the post office yeah, sometimes too. So, yeah, so so don't do business with us, okay? Don't yeah. don't support my I show my because sometimes I yeah. use the post office. That's, um, that's silly. Bezos has the Vala conspiracy over at Washington Post. So Sorry, li- listen, listen to this headline. You got to listen to this headline. This is what it says: Don't support laws you are not willing to kill to enforce. Wow. Don't support laws you are not willing to kill to enforce. This is the lesson to be learned from the Garner incident, according to Ilya Solman. And I'm hoping I'm pronouncing that right because I've only seen it in writing. I haven't heard it pronounced. Um, there are a number of people who want to say, oh, well, Garner's just another one of these black yeah, guys who right. was beat up on oh, yeah. by the... No, and, that was what CNN tried. They tried to pull that right away. But the, They're looking for a, a war. The real tragedy and the real thing they should be talking about here is whether police officers should be enforcing laws like this in the first place. Uh-huh. And so what Soman is talking they're about... They're doing their job is as far as they're concerned. Yeah, there's um there's a Yale Law School professor named Stephen Carter who tells his students on the opening day of law school, he says he counsels his first-year students, this is a quote from Carter, never to support a law they are not willing to kill to enforce. And it says, usually they greet this advice with something between skepticism and puzzlement until I remind them that the police go armed to enforce the will of the state. And if you resist, they might kill you. And he says he wishes the caution was only theoretical. It isn't. And then this is what happened to Gardner. That was the entire situation there. It's it's a powerful uh, way of looking at it, that title also. It really is. And, you know, he says the the problem is not just cigarette tax laws, right? He says it's every law. He says libertarians argue that we have far too many laws, and the Garner case offers evidence that they're right. He says, I often tell my students that there will never be a perfect technology of law enforcement, and therefore it is unavoidable that there will be situations where police will err on the side of too much violence rather than too little. Better training won't lead to perfection, and certainly more regulations and more executive orders won't do that, right? Well, this, this is a great That's point me. to make, and it's, it's a great yeah. piece. Cause, he, uh, he says, fewer laws would mean fewer opportunities for official violence to get out of hand, yeah. end quote. Excellent. And this is what I would like to see Kobe Bryant tweeting out there. Let's have fewer laws. Now, the problem is he can't do that in his case. Why? Because Michael Brown was violating a law that should be on the Absolutely books, right. a law against theft. Absolutely right. Whereas Garner, Eric Garner, and he shoved the guy was too. violating a law that should never have existed. In fact, this quote-unquote law decision. requires that the state initiate force against its own citizens. Um, I'm not a libertarian. Of course, those people who listen to this show know I am a follower of Ayn Rand. I'm an objectivist. I would distinguish myself from most libertarians. There are a lot of people who call themselves libertarians, and we have a pile of overlap. Yeah. It's kind of a loose term these days. But um, in L, any of it, we believe police enforcing the proper laws, courts enforcing the proper laws, and military essential services. Pursue, pursuing a not, not yeah pursuing a proper policy of self defense. That those are the things that government should be doing, and that government should never be initiating force against its citizens. So what we have, and, and I liked Ankar's term that he used the other day, we have a regulatory welfare state. Hmm. 
We used to talk about like the mixed economy, the yeah. welfare state. We have a regulatory welfare state. Regulations and taxes and all this do so much damage. Plus, Obama and here just you get dumped thirty five hundred the old day. Thirty five hundred oh, the holiday. Well, and, and that too. I mean, we we can even talk about the you know Obama administration dumping thirty five hundred new regulations on the day before Thanksgiving as another effort to keep us from the truth. Absolutely right. Keep us from the truth, right? Because the whole idea is, oh well, everything depends. The only, the only thing that matters is public perception. Yes. It's not going to real, really matter what the true cost of these regulations are. After all, we just fudge the numbers quarter after quarter anyway. What really matters is the public perce- perception and the news cycle and everything. And we can avoid all that just by dumping 3,400-plus regulations the day before Thanksgiving. Yeah. And from the reports that I've heard, these are some of the most costly regulations Absolutely that have right. ever been promulgated, if you want to call it that. Tried, they try to hide it under the carpet is what they do. But... What Garner is showing is the true cost of government sticking its butt where it should not this be. This letter needs to be on CNN. Not some hacks that they put up there like Michael Eric Dyson. No. This letter needs to be up there and give them a little perspective on what is on the truth. Let me let me play you something, though, Bosch, and I want to get this up here. This I know you're not always a, a huge fan of um, Gutfeld, but I want to play this clip. I used to be. Yeah, but I. He'd give me much well, reason not to be. I mean, I got upset with him over Snowden, but he yeah. says a lot that is good, and and he says a lot that's good here on the Garner thing. Let me go ahead and play this and see if it's going to give a rude commercial first. Let me see. Okay, I'm trying to play. Let's see. Oh, here it goes. Living recipient of the intelligence star. No, that's a commercial. I'm looking at Nicolas Cage. It must be a movie preview. Hmm. I wonder what movie it is. His fifth of the year. His fifth movie? Straight to video. Oh, how sad. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm I'm watching a preview for that movie, and I am... That's sad. I'm, I'm glad I can't see it. <laughs> Academy Award winner Nicolas Cage, we are told, is in this movie. Okay, here we go. Let's play the clip we want. Adding the Eric Garner tragedy to other recent incidents is an understandable thing to do, but it's off. The factors leading to his death are different. Still, for many people, this decision was a shocker. Doesn't make sense. We saw the video. But if you look closer, it's really not about cops versus blacks, but government versus citizens. The nanny state crushing the individual. The grand jury might have screwed up. The tape paints a grim picture, but who knows. But the cop wouldn't have approached Garner if the law didn't make him. I don't believe for a moment that any man, even a cop, wants to wrestle a 350-pound man over a single damn cigarette. But let's face it, most of what cops must do, they'd rather avoid. Policing is a series of tough spots requiring sensitive and constant assessment. So why make it worse with idiotic, stupid laws? I get it. Store owners complain about people selling single smokes. And the black market in cigarettes is huge because of the crazy taxes. It's an old story. I used to buy Lucy's when I was young and broke. But the only way to gain justice from this mess is to cling to the truth. Tying this to centuries of racism as a way to indict society may work for some. But for people who truly care about the city and not their own rising status, remember this one fact. You can buy one beer, but not one smoke. Garner provided for those who didn't have the 15 bucks a pack of 20 required. 
Unnecessary laws have consequences, and in this case, that consequence was death. So, so I'm going to pause that right there. I, I always have a few quibbles with him. Knows. He, call, he, call, he calls the law idiotic. Yeah. No, I would call it immoral. Yes. He says that the people who are doing the criticism are out for their own aggrandizement. You know, it's like, yeah. So he's criticizing selfishness yeah. implicitly. So At least he didn't right. make a bad joke in the middle of it. He did not make That's, any bad joke at all. And he mentioned the fact that we need to look at the truth. That was good. At the truth. Yep. So good good on Greg Gutfeld. Yep, that was good. Very good on Greg Gutfeld. Um but, I mean, this is the lesson that people need to learn. This is not the lesson that they're learning. Apparently, there's been all these demonstrations in New York City. And the most powerful man in New York, Mayor de Blasio, is going around pretending that his son, who is half black, is in danger from the NYPD. Um, you know what I wanted to say in reaction to this, and you can check out the story. Again, the link's to all the stories we've talked about today are over at my blog at don'tletitgo.com. But the thing I wanted to say about his son is de Blasio's son, given, you know, if he's learning the lessons from his dad, uh, I don't think de Blasio's son would be doing anything as productive as (laughs) selling Lucy's like, uh, right? They're communists. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's, so, it's, so it's, it's I, I don't think he, I don't I don't think he's in any danger because he's probably not going to go out there trying to produce for his own life. He'll probably become a politician. By the way, uh, De Blasio married uh, a lesbian. You know, he married and she's still a lesbian. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying he didn't convert her. But anyway, uh, he said something. What did he say? What What was his his statement? Oh, about the how the centuries of racism brought us to this day. Now listen to this. That is it, the next link that I have over sorry, at my blog. The I don't enormity of the you know what racism means in slavery, in murdering people because of their, on the basis of their skin color, what has happened historically is is it's so evil and de, you know destructive it's unbelievable to even think about it. So he's saying this incident that all that horror of centuries has led to this. This is the yeah, pinnacle right. of racism. This. This is, this, is, this is racism. This is, no, but this is the pinnacle. It's worse than slavery. You know, all, no, but all that led to this. I mean, I mean <laughs> imagine, imagine what, a, what a poor selection he made, right? Because he's like, okay, well, I have to choose a case that's in my own city so yeah. I can draw attention to myself. Oh, white cop, black guy, let me just grab onto that one. And then he picked the wrong case yeah, because completely. this is a case that is the fault of politicians like him. The f- again, the fact that the police are even out there. If you don't like this, then get laws like that off the books so that police are never right. in the position of having to enforce them. And I mean, this got, you know, Garner be... resisting arrest, he was resisting an unjust law. Yeah. Now, there are, of course, better ways, of course. right? Go ahead and let yourself get arrested. Once you confront with cops with force, yeah, it's like, right. okay, guys, okay, right. I don't like these laws. I'll fight it elsewhere. Right now, i got to go quietly. Right. And uh, I think uh, Robert mentioned there he was arrested 30 times. That's why he said this there's a last straw type thing, you know. But uh, it's, it's 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 horrific what happened. And supposedly I think it's because it landed on his chest. It wasn't his, his, his neck so much as it wasn't his throat because he was speaking. I can't breathe, I can't breathe. If he can't breathe, he can't speak. Right. So I think it was, ended up being his chest, literally, up, up against the ground, and they were on top of him. And, that, and that's what finally uh, did him in. But the guy was clearly unhealthy. He was fat. He was, you know... No, no. I mean, he has he has special pounds. health problems as well. But you yeah, know, again, I think Ilya Soman gets it exactly right yeah. that you know police 
policing is not such a precise science that you're never going to have cops erring on the side of, side of too much fight. force. So if you're going to send armed police officers out there to enforce something, you better the hell make sure that it's something that you are willing to kill people yeah. over. And that's why, that's very well you know, put. Rand, oh, I mean, it's super well put. I mean, this is why Rand always said that the job of government is to redress when force has been initiated. Right. It, not is, to... it is not to go out there and, quote, make the world a better place. Yep. That's not what law does. Law is force. But that's what politicians do, and then they create these laws, and then they have to, the cops have to enforce these terrible laws that shouldn't exist, and they end up killing the guy by mistake. I mean, that cop, you know, to think that this guy is gleeful somehow, this guy feels horrific. I mean, he feels terrible. He doesn't want a guy to die over no this. No way. And he's responsible for it also. And who knows? I mean, he personally has, has maybe interacted with this guy several yes. times as maybe, well. And he feels bad, but he's extent. got to, you know, all the shopkeepers are complaining about it. And so he's got to do it, but he doesn't like it, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, this idea that it has any base in race, no, Mr. Uh, de Blasio, you and all of your other politician buddies need to look in the mirror and wonder why you are keeping in force in your city a law that makes police officers, armed police officers, go out and prosecute people simply because they're selling single cigarettes on the streets of your city. Where's you the reporter, try to look in the mirror. Where's the reporter that will say that to him at that press conference? Say, Mayor de Blasio, enough of this crap. Yeah. How about this? Where are they? I, where I would, are they? I would, I would like to know. No, but where are the ones but, I mean, he, at the White House how, against how Obama? Can, I mean, that, that's the thing, and this is the truth that they don't want to recognize. And so if he can attribute it to racism and that racism is the problem, then that lets him try to sleep at night anyway. Good luck with that. So a, a few other stories in which people are just basically evading the truth. There's another jobs report, right? And they always try to whitewash the jobs report, oh, yeah. and they try to say, oh, look, there's over 300,000 300, jobs created elections. and the blah, blah, blah. Yeah. We're still very near, I believe, a 36-year <clears throat> low. Sorry about the uh, noise there. Um, a 36-year low in terms of market participation. They're saying that in terms of Americans, I think Americans only got 4,000 new jobs or something because, of course, we lose jobs at the same time that we gain them. Um it's only only 4,000 more working Americans in one month. And then at the same time, a lot of the jobs are part-time instead of full-time. Full-time jobs have declined by 150,000, while part-time jobs increased by seven, uh, 77,000. But what they try to do in the headlines is they try to say, oh, look, over 300,000 jobs. They try to, yeah. U.S. job growth hit 321,000. But the unemployment rate somehow is holding steady at 5.8%. How do you explain this? They're always massaging the numbers. A couple other stories that I put over there at DontLetItGo.com, just for, I guess, fair and balanced, right, mm. is there was this story, and Rob Aviera posted it on the Don't Let It Go on her page, and then we were all kind of scratching our head because it said, it's official. America is now number two in terms of the size of our economy. And apparently China is at 17.6 trillion, and I'm saying these numbers funnily because I can't even imagine trillions of dollars, right? You know, it's just so beyond my scale of comprehension. But 17.6 trillion is China, and 17.4 trillion is our GDP, national uh, annual GDP. 
And then it turns out, no, the numbers are being massaged because they're using, you know, the dollar value in a weird way to make it look that way. And then, of course, Chinese prices are cheaper, so it, our dollar buys more there. And so it's producing more, but really it's not because I don't know. Anyway, I get so confused. But if you go and look at Keith Weiner's article, and it's uh, his article headline is Chinese GDP Surpasses USA Peren when measurement adjusted, close paren, um, he tells you how a lot of these times people are just not telling us the full truth. That in fact, yes, we are worse off than we were in the year 2000, but that the Chinese are also worse off than they were in the year 2000. So thanks, Keith, for jumping in. Thanks, Rob, for bringing up the issue over at the Don't Let It Go Unheard page on Facebook. But well, just, some people just love saying that. Can we just get some truth? I mean, the thing that you want to know, I mean, and again, I maybe we could ask Keith this. Our national debt has now passed $18 trillion. So our national debt exceeds the amount that we produce in one year. We are S-C-R-E-W-E-D. Yeah. Um, another story where people just don't care about the truth is this Rolling Stone story. Um, The headline on Drudge today was that the Rolling Stone backs off and says sorry about a University of Virginia rape story, excuse me, more ads, um, University of Virginia rape story that they um, had reported. And I think the real travesty here, you know, there are people who allege rape and they aren't necessarily telling the truth and sometimes you can't get at that fact for a while. And, The story does come out in the media. But the thing that is wholly inexcusable is that the Rolling Stone went with this story and defended their coverage even though they had not consulted the accused so-called rapists. Because it was was too good to not report, you know, as far as they're concerned. They say that they found discrepancies in the story, but it turned out that they had not even consulted or asked. The people who were accused. You're seeing something over here in the uh, chat room. What do we got going on? Um, well, recall when when Rolling Stone uh, supported more or less the uh, terrorist bomber. Oh yeah. They put him on the cover. Yes. They did a cover story. It was a romantic piece on him. So they're full of crap. I mean, we know that. Uh, John writes debt not a problem. Uh, he he's quoting Bob Beckel. Yeah, Bob Beckel thinks drink is not a problem either. So. Well, and and this is, you know, again, this idea that we can have this magnitude of debt and just pretend like nothing's going on. The Dow is hitting record highs. We wake up tomorrow and we're not we're not dead. We're alive. Therefore, it's not that bad. You know what I mean? We can go to a store, get a, I mean, we can do something. So it's not that bad, the debt, right? I mean, well, and, and, and here's the thing, right? Well, now, now that everyone's going to use Apple Pay. You're not going to have the physical sensation of bringing the wheelbarrow of cash to the store to buy the loaf of bread like they did in Weimar, Germany, right? Um, The the out-of-control inflation that they had in Germany before Hitler took over. I mean, we're not going to be physically aware of it as much because it's all going to be through the Apple Pay on our iPhones, right? right? So, truth. What is truth? What is truth? Truth is actual recognition of reality. And I've got a link to over at the Ayn Rand lexicon. Truth is recognition of reality. 
reason, man's only means of knowledge, yes, for those of us who are atheists, we believe it is our only means of knowledge, reason, and it is our only standard of truth. And there is one quotation on the issue of truth that I couldn't help but read to you guys, and it's from Philosophy Who Needs It. So if you scroll down on that lexicon entry, you'll see this. It says, consider the... Oh, no. Okay, the the sound dropped out. Now, can you hear me back again now? Yeah, it looks like you should hear me back. The sound did drop out for a second, and it looks like they just reconnected us. So those of you who are listening through Black Talk Radio... you got to repeat that. Yeah, so, so what I've been doing, I'm talking about the definition of truth and some little bit more description of the issue of truth at the Ayn Rand lexicon. This is a quote from the essay Philosophical Detection in the book Philosophy Who Needs It. And she asks, Ayn Rand says, consider the catchphrase, it may be true for you, but it's not true for me. What is the meaning of the concept truth? Truth is the recognition of reality. This is known as the correspondence theory of truth. The same thing cannot be true and untrue at the same time and in the same respect. That catchphrase therefore means, A, that the law of identity is invalid, right? And that would, I mean, imagine the things around you, you think they have a specific identity, but then suddenly this book that's sitting in front of me is going to turn into a hot air balloon and start rising. I mean, this would be a horrific universe to live in, and it is not the universe that we live in that we know just by looking, right? So that can't be true, that the law of identity is invalid. Second, There is no objectively perceivable reality, only some indeterminate flux, which is nothing in particular, i.e. that there is no reality, in which case if there is no reality, there could be no such thing as truth, or C, the two debaters perceive two different universes, Mm. in which case also no debate is possible, right? Because the whole idea of us proving things to one another is that we can each at the end of our argument point to something out in the world in reality and say, and that's why that thing I'm pointing to over there. So what is the purpose of the catchphrase? It may be true for you, but it's not true for me. Or as Gutfeld let into his little monologue there, that may work for them, but not for us. And people say, your truth, my truth, your reality, my reality. Yeah, she says, the purpose of the catchphrase is the, the destruction of objectivity. The destruction of object, and I know that Gutfeld believes in objectivity as much as he has sometimes let seep well, he, into his he never uh, wants to be thought process. He doesn't want to be labeled. Never, not pinned down. Ever, no. He he can't be part. And of that's a problem for him. An ideology. He can't no. in his own mind. He he's uh, he's fifty years old too. I mean, it's it's, it's funny because he did. He mentioned Atlas Shrugged in his new book, and I said, "Does this mean that you read it?" And he said, "No, he still hasn't read Atlas yeah. Shrugged." I'm waiting for the day that he reads Atlas Shrugged. He's, he's intimidated by the size. I, th- I think it's as big as him. <laughs> I think so. He's like, I can't <laughs> read terrible. something that's as big as me. That's terrible. Again, you or can, small as him. You can find all these links by going over to my blog at don'tletitgo.com. But this issue of truth, how in the world do we make it so that truth actually matters to people again? And we have a number of people who are apparently accustomed to evading reality, to thinking that they can manipulate reality. And it's not the extreme of the party that took control in 1984, but to the extent that they think that they can. Again, Obama doesn't want us to perceive these 
3,400 plus regulations that they're foisting on us. 3,400 plus little initiations of force against American citizens. If they release them the day before Thanksgiving and everybody just goes home and has their nice Thanksgiving meal and turkey coma and everything else, then maybe they just won't notice it. And, it, and, it and if people don't notice it, I mean, you know. It also tells you that. The tree falls in the forest, no one hears it. Well, they have to lie. You know? They know that what they're trying to push is bad by the standards of reality. Right. They even know. Even these lying rats know that we can't openly send it out there because it's bad. We know it. But that's why we're going to do it anyway. Yeah. But we don't want them to be too detective. No, but you know I me. Mean? It's kind of well, and, and it's, then, de- it's deception. It's self. It's self. It's self deceptive. At the same time, they understand this is bad, according to reality. Right, <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. But I'm going to evade it by just putting it out there when people are preoccupied with their holiday plans. Well, in their portrayal of the effect of any of their initiations of force, their little pieces of regulation and legislation, or even Obamacare, right? Mm-hmm. They'll tell us how Obamacare is already saving lives and saving us money and getting all these people insured. And it's a whole bunch of lies, right? In 1984, there was this example where, you know, everybody had rations of yummy things. They had this horrible chocolate, but it was the only chocolate they could have. And they didn't know any better. So they, of course, wanted the chocolate. And they had had 30 grams per week as their ration. By the way, 30 grams is not very much chocolate. I don't operate on grams myself, but I looked at one of those little Halloween-sized candy bars, and it was like 18 grams or something. So I was like, okay, so 30 grams. So they had reduced it from 30 grams to 20 grams. And what they did a few days after they did this is they made a news story about how the chocolate ration had been increased to 20 grams. And they wanted everybody to believe this, to swallow it, and to cheer about it. And sure enough, they did. And this is, on a smaller scale, what our government and what our media is doing to us all the time. They are trying to manipulate the truth. And so then the question is, since it seems to be working largely, you know, I mean, there there are a lot of us who will call them on it, but there's a huge, at least a substantial minority in this country who is having power and influence who basically um, buy this, this idea that you can manipulate reality. So what do we do? I think it's it's the future. I mean, the kids really in this country, what happens to the future generation is huge. Right. Are they going to have respect for reality as a primary consideration? And so that's why I put a link over at DontLetItGo.com for this new book. And there's a number of books on Montessori, but there's a new book by Charlotte Cushman, Montessori, Why It Matters, for your child's success and happiness. And Montessori, the method of teaching Montessori, which is usually kind of preschool all the way up through maybe six-year-olds, something like that, maybe even up to eight-year-olds, is, is traditional Montessori. And they actually teach the kids to have a primary relationship with reality and with the things that they achieve it teaches them independence, yeah. right? Independence is the virtue in which you say, I put reality above my relationship to other people. I put reality nothing, above... Nothing gets in the way of looking at reality as it is. Right. And if we can get enough kids trained in the Montessori method, at least in their early education, then I think they're going to have that primary orientation to reality they're going to have the self-esteem that comes from experience.
experiencing efficacy in reality with the Montessori materials. And they're going to be at least somewhat inoculated from what comes after because a lot of people cannot afford to yeah. either stay home and homeschool their kids. Right. Or for some people, it just doesn't work out because homeschooling is kind of a tricky thing. Your kid might want to rebel and you might not be able right. to teach them. Right. So homeschooling might not work out and you might not be able to afford a quality private school. But if you can start them in that Montessori approach and you can get it so that their primary orientation is to reality and not primarily to, quote, make other people happy, you know, I think that's a huge key for the future. I think so, too. So I'm uh, we're going to be running out of time so soon. And I've got all I've got now I've got. I mean, that's really the the hope for the future is is to get people oriented towards the truth. Of course, we can. All we can do with people our own age, you know, any any adults out because, there, you know, is point out the truth if the time truth, and time and again and talk about why it matters. If the truth mattered today, um, Barack Obama would not be president today. Americans would have found out about him being friends with a terrorist, a colleague with him. He had his coming out party in, in his in his home, 20 years with uh, Jeremiah Wright. You know, everything about him would have been completely rejected. So this is disgusting. Get out of here. But uh, it didn't matter. Uh, people did know about it. McCain, in his own half-assed way, did mention it about uh, the terrorist Bill Ayers, and it didn't matter. And I gotta say, I was uh, you were surprised at the, the I was fact flat that out people wrong were evading. because I thought truth mattered. I right. had I believed he would there was no chance in hell he'd be voted in, and that the, the hack McCain would somehow eke it out. I was wrong, and um, it's a tough pill to swallow because he, you know. You start seeing Americans in a way that you don't want to. Millions of Americans as absolute fools, especially the, the, the ones who voted for him again. I mean, millions of people voted for him again after they saw what he did the first time. It's a scary place to be in, but again, it's because truth does not matter the way it did. And uh, it has to. It has to again. Now, you had mentioned a quotation to me yeah. earlier, and it was something that Something like that, which can be destroyed by telling the truth, must should, be destroyed should, or should be destroyed. Yes. yes. It's a, a writer. I think it's a beautiful um, way to put it. Uh, I'm sorry, one second. You know, it, uh, it, she um, wrote. Are you, are you hearing me okay? Yeah, okay. I think I think we're doing okay. I'm that, now paranoid about this. This is by the writer um, P.C. Hodgill, Patricia, something Hodgill. That which can be destroyed by the truth should be. It's powerful. I mean, it's just a powerful thing, and uh, and Islam, well, and and let's talk Barack more Obama. more deeply about why that is, right? Because yeah. we human beings, we can survive on this planet only by perceiving the truth and acting Absolutely. in accordance with the truth, acting in accordance with the laws of reality, or relying we on would, those who do, know, the, like 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 politicians, like Barack Obama. Right. He's relying on those who do respect reality in order to get away with with what he does. In order to maintain his existence. Right. right. And this, of course, is dramatized wonderfully in Atlas Shrugged. So I just refer to you. If you want to look at people who are trying to evade reality themselves and get one over on people who refuse to evade reality, at least in a certain sphere, yeah. right? Um Quickly, I just wanted to say thanks to Rob Aviera for giving me the link to this story about Senator Wyden. 
Uh, Senator Wyden has put forward a bill, and the, the headline over here at Ars Technica is wrong. And as the headline is worded, I would be opposed to this, actually, because it says, Senator Wyden puts forward a bill to ban data backdoors, quote backdoors. You know, backdoors is some sort of an easier favored access to a government agency. So, for instance, in the recent iPhones and the Google phones, their newest phones are encrypted by default and do not have a backdoor, and the FBI, Barack Obama's FBI, is not very happy about this. So Senator Ron Wyden put forth this legislation, which, and it doesn't ban the data backdoors, right? Because if if somebody wants to make a phone and they want to give a backdoor to the government, fine. And then tell people you've got the backdoor to the government, don't defraud anybody, and let them buy the one with the backdoor. I mean, you know, Greg Gutfeld, he's got nothing to hide. Let him buy the phone yeah, with the back Greg. door. Okay, you I go right ahead. Um, because it's not an issue of having anything no. to hide. We've talked about this before, right? Your, your privacy is your privacy. Your privacy has a value, and this is something I'm working on in my book, so we'll talk another time. But this is not what Wyden did. Wyden is not trying to ban the back doors. He's trying to prohibit government agencies from requiring any back doors be placed on the software or the hardware. So... He's not trying to ban backdoors. He's trying to prohibit government agencies from initiating force on these producers and from requiring them to place a backdoor on there when they don't want to. If they want to, that's fine. You want to go on longer than the two hours? I do. You do? I want to talk about uh, whiplash and a few other things. You know what we can do? This show, it feels like it's just... I think it can go on for hours. Oh, I'm not. I'm not sure if the live people are going to then be able to continue to listen okay. to us or not. But what we can tell them is, we'll say, look, after it's over, yeah. and maybe the people who, like, if for instance, if uh, Robert NYC calls in, yes. I think we might still be able okay. to speak with him and have it continue to be recorded. There, there's someone so here. if uh, if Robert NYC is I, there, that I can't believe it's. I mean, it, it went super, super fast. It it did go super fast, but this is this is a huge issue. Anyway, let me let me just. Uh, said he's on hold. He's on hold. Excellent, excellent. So just uh, you can tell us which one you are after. I think Stewart called also, but it, it's it's not on there. Yeah, and he he may have hung up. Let me get through a couple of these because I'm like in France. Okay, let me I, tell you. I gotta go. <laughs> I'm, I'm Wait, thinking. I'm thinking. Depart adieu. Depart adieu. That depart, was awesome. Yeah, it was. I was so. Good. I couldn't even say you, it you during the show. Adieu. Yeah, I, I couldn't even. Because Gerard uh, Depardieu left left France, and I said depart adieu. Yeah. You know? There are some French who are showing the American sense of life even better than some groups here. So, for example, French business owners actually protested taxes and red tape. Do you see business owners going out and protesting, taking to the street no. in America doing no. this? They are oh. doing this in France. Okay, this is a Breitbart. Breitbart has somebody reporting on France yes. and, and I think they the purpose stores, yeah. the purpose of that person is to make me want to move to France. I think <laughs> that's, that's what right. they're trying to do because listen to this. It's not happen, Thousands of business owners took to the streets in French cities on Monday. This was published just on uh, the 1st, which was Monday, in a rare protest against hefty taxes, charges, and stifling regulations they say are driving their firms into the ground. Bravo! Yay. And so I just, I have a link to that story. Go check it out. That's right. (laughs) Bravo. And then... Don't worry about equality. Well, here's, here's the flashback. I love this thing, so I had to put a link to it again. 
radical feminists strip and take to the streets of Paris in protest against, and then it says radical Islam. Uh, yeah. I always put the little paren with sick now because <laughs> the, right. you guys are wrong. But really what they're doing is they are saying that they will not bow to ISIS. Absolutely. These women. So they went out topless, these radical feminists yeah, in France. Feminists in this country feminists in this country would never no, stand wouldn't. up to any they version even, of Islam. They don't even acknowledge the existence of ISIS. But uh they took to the streets and also, you know, there are a lot of Muslims. I think France France has more Muslims than any other European country. You know, they're the most submissive to it. They allowed um, it I think Moroccans mainly. So I, I have um a nice listener to this show who talks about the virtues of Latin America moving to right. Latin America. Right. But I'm telling you, look at this. Look at this. I got I got two things over a period yeah, of months in which we have keep in mind, when something decent happens in France it's, it's, it seems so attractive. I know, it's, but nothing like this happens here. It doesn't, it doesn't. You do not have thousands of business owners taking to the France streets to protest trouble. taxes and red tape here. They're they're in trouble. I mean, they voted a socialist, an explicit socialist. <sighs> And the uh, book, the Capital, I think I think he's a Frenchman. The uh, Tom, whatever his name is. Yeah, Piketty. Yes. Yeah. I know, but still. Tom Picketing. There, there uh, are people there. There's a substantial minority who understands something there and is doing something about it. Which I, I just, I love that spirit. So. It, oh, I do too. It, it's worth further Absolutely. study. It's no, worth further study. I, I feel for them keep because they're right in the middle wrong, of Europe frogs. where the Muslims are trying you know, to. Keep proving yeah. pro- pro- us wrong, frogs. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> Kudos to France. Um, a couple fun things. One is the world's first anti-Islam Islam wine has hit the market, according to the PJ Tatler. It's called Hal and Al's 72 Virgins. It's the first wine for anti-Islamic crusaders. Released by an Australian think tank and non-profit group called the Q Society, 72 Virgins Profits will be used to fund the group's advocacy against Islamic influence and extremist ideology. I hate that word extremist, by the way. I am an extremist for justice and truth. Yes. It's been a word that's been defiled. That's right. That's right. But anyway, go check that out over at the PJ Tadler. I think it has chunks of bacon in it also. Yeah. And then the the final thing that I have here is a little link to a video. And I saw part of this video. It is someone who made a clarinet out of a carrot. Yes. It is totally fun. A clarinet out of a carrot. That sounds beautiful. and, And how long did it take him to make it? Two minutes. Two minutes? I think. It seemed like a few minutes. I think two minutes, actually. I might, I might be wrong, but... Uh, so it says he used an electric drill, a carrot, and a saxophone mouthpiece. Yes. And he plays it all in a matter of five minutes. Okay. Five minutes he's okay. playing this thing. Excellent. That is truly awesome, and I think just go and, and check it totally out. This is totally fun. Stuart in the chat room over here says, extremism in the defense of liberty is no vice. Yeah. Exactly. And no, I think what cold we... Water. <laughs> Deb in the chat room is is amazed at the clarinet. Yeah, do go to my blog oh, over totally at don'tletitgo.com. Check out all the links for the stuff today. I was actually proud of my little collection of links oh, that I put together stuff. for the show. And no, thank you, Bosch, for sending me most of that stuff. And and some of it was from Rob Aviera, too. Yeah. So thank you for sending those stories on. We've got very little time. So we are going to continue after and try to talk to Robert NYC about Whiplash so you can check out the podcast later because it will continue to record. But the rest of you, if you want to just cut out now, 
go over to don'tletitgo.com at the blog and continue the conversation. Check out the links. Subscribe to the blog. That's the best way to keep up with all the stuff that I'm doing. And do support the show if you can, either by sending us a contribution. You can use our Amazon link uh, up on the right-hand side. Or you can uh, also share this show with your friends when you enjoy it. We appreciate it very much. You've got something else here? Oh, yeah, pretty soon those people who are show supporters are going to get little updates from us, an email update from us about the project. The project. As, as we call it. So the project. Another incentive for becoming a show supporter is to get inside news on the project. The project. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, thank you, everyone. And we will talk to you next time. Uh, I would like definitely Robert NYC to hang on so we can have our little after show discussion about Whiplash. Whiplash. So hang on. Okay, I'm wondering if Robert NYC can still hear me. If you can, uh, do you have your little question icon selected over here? Uh, I'm going to see. It might be him. Okay, you can still hear me. That is awesome. I'm going to see if this is you. Robert, is this you? Hello, can you hear me? I can hear you. Is that you? That's excellent. Okay, so let's... Let's have a little uh, post-show whiplash discussion. Yeah. yeah, actually, before that, I have to compliment you guys on the previous episode with Jim Valiant. That was the best 90 minutes of radio that I've heard in a long time. So, uh, Thanks, yeah, it just went so fast, and yeah. um, I just I want to thank you for that. That's all. Thank you. He's he's truly excellent, and we were just he lucky that he called in, and then I went ahead and turned it into a full-fledged interview. <laughs> you covered everything, you know. Like uh, he called for one specific thing, but yes. you guys just covered everything. So I do I do uh, that with Debbie though too. I really enjoy talking when Debbie calls in, and yeah. and I often will pull her with me through uh, a, no, a number mm-hmm. of topics. I, I, Debbie came like an interview almost with the James. It, it no, a, it really well. Well, he's also a lawyer, yeah. so I'm a lawyer, so we kind of geeked out a little bit, and <laughs> that was that was no, fun was as great. well. He has a great radio voice, also. But so, so Robert, um, you know that the status in objectivism now all depends on how many times you've seen Whiplash, <laughs> right? Because I mean, we know that Leonard <laughs> Peikoff has seen Whiplash at least six times, six at times, least six yeah. times. Uh, so how many <laughs> how many times have you seen it? Uh, only three so far, actually. Well, see, okay, but but three will put you yeah. above Bosch. Yeah, exactly. Because you Bosch, <laughs> Bosch has seen it only two times. I failed. I'm a moderate objective. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I failed. I blew it. But, um, you know what it is? I'm saving it to see with a bunch of different people. So yeah. uh, by next week, I might catch Leonard Peikoff. If he doesn't continue uh, to see it, but uh, boy, well, this, if it this stays movie in the theaters, if it still yeah, stays in I had, the theaters, I had to watch right? it in this low-budget mom-and-pop theater, which stunk. The popcorn was burnt. The coke tasted crappy. Oh, boy. It was really bad, but whatever. That, that's it fits the movie. Eating popcorn, yeah. watching that movie, Absolutely. actually fits. That's a, that's a part. That's a big part of it. Not not <laughs> well. It's a personal part of it. Right, so right. I have to just say. This movie is Hero Worship 101, and uh, I haven't been moved this much in in, in a really long time. Um, just the the drum student 
he uh, you know he just he gets pushed certainly by you know certainly by the teacher and and you could quibble over you know where they draw the line which is actually right. you know mentioned uh, in the film but right. I think he's just so driven to succeed that um, it's it's just inspiring it's just incredibly inspiring film it is and the and the direction the writing. It's a oh, young guy. Well, everything is just so integrated. Just, I can't believe it's this guy's first uh, film. Absolutely. Um, he made an 18-minute version, I think. He hit a home run. He totally hit a home run. And mm-hmm. and I'd, I'd love to think he'll be able to to duplicate that in the future, you know, with right. with, with a, you know, a legitimate budget. Um, yep. But here's the interesting thing, you know, draw a contrast, okay? The budget on this movie was only several million dollars and if we take any of the uh disaster <laughs> disastrous remakes right. of the atlas shrug films that uh, had similar uh, i knew here, you were gonna bring that where, in i'm yeah, i'm sorry but it's just it's just on my mind that here's what yeah, you do when you have absolutely. actors who can act writers who can write a story that's driven you know, well, we know the answer. The director who directs yeah. the hell out of it. I mean, they, they exactly. The yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a film. That's this is a film that that uh, obviously proves that budget is not as as critical as as some people yeah. make it out to be. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. He made the most of it. I mean, he made the yeah. he made such a big film out of a small budget and a, a relatively small story. But I mean, it's a yeah. big film. It's an epic film. It really is, and and it's interesting. Uh, the you know the drummer is in every single scene, uh, which wow. is, hmm. the subtlety I of it is that. wow. You don't even realize it while right, you're watching, right, right. but but he's literally in every single scene. You know, the others, the teacher, you know, was in most of them. But then yes. you have the father, you have the girl, uh, you have the family scene. You know, and and right, right, so right. it's. Really, it's seamless, you know, the way it's yeah. done. That's where that's where you're right, Bosch, where the directing is just is oh. phenomenal. And the okay. actors, you know, they, there's there's no, you know, I'm trying to think of flaws, okay? Right, right. And, and I actually found one very minor flaw that only I would be the only one on the planet that would, that would right. catch this, which is, um, it, obviously the movie takes place in New York, but it's not really New York. You know, I waited till the end. I saw it was filmed in California, and uh, I always look for, in films. I always look for actual locations that I've right. been to a million times, and and right. even the Carnegie Hall uh, footage, they do like a 360 degrees. And I used to live right near there, and the building he's, that's behind him is is not accurate. But that's such a minor thing, as I yeah. say. That's only something right. I would catch. I can't. I can't blame the guy. That, you know, right. <laughs> if that's the word you, you, that you compl- complain about it, that's a pretty pretty damn good movie. It you know? is. It's a tight, tight film. It's uh, fatless. Mm-hmm. And that kid, yeah. that actor, I mean, I yeah. don't know. He was, he was, I think he spent months on it uh, just to practice to make it appear like he knows what he's doing with the drums. And no doubt he got pretty good probably at a certain point. But with the direction, it made you look like it made him look like this master drummer. I mean, he was like a yeah. super drummer, Buddy Rich, you know, drum, yeah, drum like man. his hero, Buddy Rich. Uh, I mean, yeah. they, they, yeah, they did that perfectly. And and you know, um, the dialogue, the the you know the profanity. Oh man, <laughs> yeah. hilarious! Though. I mean, you know, you, funny. you 
part, part of me was just happy that they're still allowed to use those kinds of expressions. <laughs> yes, I mean, exactly I, I thought right. well, uh, and a lot, I was a cracking lot of, up, um, and I could see of, people in the theater of, uh, cringing. Oh, yes, a lot, yes. I was going to say a lot of non-PC jokes. Oh, man, too. completely. No, no. no and, and of course, that has to be the... I'm, I'm yes. sorry, Robert. I like I like the way you put that because it's true. That the fact that it can be still said. That we live in a free country. You want to put profanity in a movie? Goddamn, put it. Just put it. Yeah. In there. Especially if it fits yeah. the character. The, the character is a force of nature. That that. Teacher. Yeah. Yeah. He He's is. He and, is. And and, and, and you, you know the interesting thing is he 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 couldn't be a hero and say those things. You know he had to be. Right. He had to have some kind of flaw. You know, right. for it to be more digestible, you know. Right. Uh, he he could never be. He could never be Andrew. He could never be that kid. He couldn't be him. No, not, no. Not when he was young. Right. Not even now. And but but he knew something was up with the kid. He knew the kid had you know yeah. the kind of self motivation that that is required. Now he'll take that self motivation and put it to another level. You know, force him yeah. to go to a place where. But he knew that this kid was determined to be the best. On his own, mm-hmm. you know, without yeah. without the without the teacher's help, but but the teacher knew. And, a way and at the really at the very out. end, you know, even the ending. I mean, we mm-hmm. know obviously this is spoilers, right? For not yeah. pe- people, <laughs> we're giving spoilers, spoilers here. Spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. Turn turn off if you don't want spoilers. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, just the final scene, the oh. way that uh, the way that it ends where they smile at each other, you know, and, yeah. and even before they smile at each other, there's a, there's a prior reconciliation, which is he smashes the yes. symbol o- almost in his face, you know, almost yes. in uh, yes. Fletcher's yes. face, and, and then, then he, he hits it again, yeah. and it plants. It's yes. on an angle, so it's actually not in the proper spot for him to hit it, and Fletcher comes over and straightens it. He actually straightens it out, and that's where he's won him over. You know, he's and like, you know no, this, this... Robert, I'm, I'm sorry, but again, that was done through action... Which is the, almost the best kind of screenwriting. You you show what you show that they're getting along at this point. Actually, they they have connected on a in a serious way, and then also yeah. not to show and the way the director doesn't show the flat out wide smile of the teacher just shows above that the way he shot it with the cheekbones rise up. He is just mm-hmm. you know he's ecstatic. I, right, because I mean, right. you could tell this teacher never had a wide eyed smile. You know he's uh, that's right. just not in. <laughs> right. in, in Teacher, but you know, he, he's he Henry Cameron he in that sense, you know, in, uh, in, in the sense that, yes. you know, it takes a, his standards are so high that yep. for somebody to make him smile. Yep. It, and it's, also, he might also, I mean, you know, Rand, you know, Rand was uh, opposed to, I guess, using profanity in, 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 her, in her books, but her characters used profanity. Henry Cameron was a foul-mouthed guy, as was some, oh, yeah. I, I think, a whining, but she didn't just, she didn't do it. In, in this movie, you can't imply that. You have to have it. He has to say it. And the way he says yeah. it, it's not just it's not that he curses, he uses it in a hilarious, I mean, funny way. He yeah. does. I mean, yeah. it, it's hilarious. Uh, he, he's, he, it holds up because he's even when there's not profanity, you yes. know, uh, that's that's where, you know, you can even look at comedians, like even Richard Pryor, if you go back. Right. He's even funny when he doesn't use profanity, yeah. but when he does, like yeah. double, you know, funny. roll over laughter it because it's so spot on. And, you know, it's like an assault. I mean, you know, as soon as the teacher walks in her first time, the, at least I'm assuming it's just shot right up as if he's a sergeant, as, as if he's a general. Yeah. And yeah. That, that's what came to mind. It was like, it was like a military, but also, for, for me, the, the one picture I kept coming to mind was Raging Bull uh, because mm-hmm. of the sheer direction and the power. And, the, you know, yeah. whatever you think about the subject of the Raging Bull, whatever, 
the power that Martin Scorsese shot that film with, I don't think he ever replicated any of his later films. And then I'm reading an interview with the uh, with the director. Um, what's his the name? The director of Whiplash. Yes, and he he did say. Yeah, Damien Wetzel, and he used Raging Bull. That was one yes. of his right. That yes. was one of his models. It was. Mm-hmm. He said, "I want he want to make like a music film <laughs> Raging Bull type." And that's exactly yeah. what it came off as. Not a ripoff. Yeah. But just to say, you it know did, what? It did. It did. But it here's so the thing. It's Raging Bull of the intellect, you know, in the, in yes. the sense that. Oh, no doubt about it. it. Yeah, he's no obviously playing drunk, but it's of the spirit. You know, his Absolutely. spirit is so strong. And he's so. And it's, it's also interesting because he's so unsure of himself with the girl. Yeah you know, a little bit with his dad, but gradually you just see his confidence going. Yeah. That was the best breakup scene I've ever, I've ever seen <laughs> I mean, on film. It was really <laughs> well done. Way, it was the way he broke up with her. I, I, I got to put yeah. that one in my pocket. That's <laughs> hilarious. No, but it was hilarious, and, and he actually believed it. And, and then, you know, he, he wanted to reopen the door with her later on, and then she goes, well, I'll see yeah. my boyfriend, you know. It's like, okay, it was good that it, they didn't. You know, it, yeah. it wasn't one of those happily ever after no. couples. You know, no. where she runs and it, on it was the scene. Yeah, we, we have no idea whether he even saw now, her again. Now, if yeah. she does show up at that place, though, then there's another story for him because she would probably would have like, oh my god, this guy is, <laughs> yeah, is phenomenal. Yeah, he is phenomenal. You know, and the way yeah. that last final scene. I mean, I don't know. You know, Robert, Robert McKee, the uh, great uh, screenwriter teacher, said. A movie is its last is its last twenty minutes, you know. And this this mm-hmm. movie was one of the most epic endings. I mean, just in the way they shot it, what it meant to the character and to the future yeah. of the character. Because you know this character, you know he takes off. You know he explodes yeah. from that point. From that point on, you know it. It's not even a question. Mm-hmm. Everyone there knew it. Mm-hmm. And uh, and the and the to, you know the, the what I really liked about it is. Also, professionally, this was a professional gig. This was a, this was a paid gig. Absolutely this is no longer right. playing, you know, in in front of uh, judges right. and stuff. this is a paid gig. So yeah, it wasn't both a competition, pro- right? Yeah. And you know what? If, That's you know, right. Well, they're, they're actually, you know, professional and and the way they, you know, the way he set it up. Fletcher set it up, describing, you know, this people in the audience are they're the, the best ones, and they never forget, you know, he, as he's trying to set him up to, for failure, yes. and um. But, but I think one of my favorites is when he's playing the drums, and he just tells him "f you." You know, he just yeah, mouths it. Yeah, well, <laughs> that, that was awesome. And then the the visual when oh. when they're in the when they're in the um uh in the lounge, you know, after Fletcher finishes playing, and and they they reunite, and yeah, he just does the quote of any Starbucks jazz album. Oh, <laughs> he's just the death of jazz, you know, and that's when he but just also, does the quotes for jazz. It's like, oh boy, he's so right. He's so right about that. It is it not jazz what they sell in Exactly. No, but it was a full on assault against mediocrity also. Even in that conversation yes. with, with a teacher with right. a with, with student said if he said, you know what, good job, you know. You right. Know, and this, this it, it, it would have killed him. This was the thing that oh, I, yeah. wanted, I wanted to talk about, right, because, and Leonard Peikoff, by the way, if you haven't listened, Leonard Peikoff has a two-part review of Whiplash. I did. After over, I saw the film, I did yes. listen, yeah. yeah. Which he says yeah. he's only up to five uh, <laughs> five viewings at that right. time. But so I, now you one up on me. Yeah, at least six. But, yeah, go to Peikoff.com and, and listen. But, um he pointed out in particular that, you know, that line about the worst thing you can say in the world is good job. And um, yeah. the, 
you know, the idea would be that you would say, okay, you know, I'm doing fine and I don't have to work any harder. And Mm -hmm. recently in doing a little bit of studying of of Montessori, which now, you know, I'm kind of shifting over a focus towards education and education policy. So Montessori is, is huge for me. I've learned that in Montessori, they believe that saying good job to a kid is a bad thing to do, yeah. that you should not be saying good job to them. Oh. And and the reason would be not so much the idea of, well, then they're not going to try harder. Or, or maybe maybe what it is, is is that they go deeper. They go deeper as to why you're not going to try harder. So, for example, they say, well, if you say good job to a child, maybe what you're trying to do is manipulate them to do whatever it is that you want. It's not really... So much about them, it's just they're conforming to whatever your wish is of of the moment right. when you say good job. And your interpretation. Um, of it, yeah. Then the other thing is is that you're having them, you're you're having them be dependent, or you're kind of encouraging yeah, a dependence of. on the opinions of other people, whether it be mm-hmm. teachers or parents or anything else. But so that, so you're getting the kid kind of more concerned about whether people will tell them good job as to whether you know, versus whether they're satisfied with their own performance. So, yeah. you know, in, in the movie, they were talking about, well, the alternatives are basically you can tell them good job or you can, like, throw symbols at them and, like, do horrible things to them to push them harder. And I don't know if that's exactly what you have <laughs> to do. But, you know, the the idea of somehow igniting the sense of accomplishment and the drive to succeed and excel in the student, you know, musician or in any other field, right? That's the mm-hmm. idea. And that and that it that if you say good job, that somehow it's going to at least destroy that. So so in that so much but I mean this is the thing that, you know, again teachers could talk about this, but is it necessary to be, you know, pardon my French, a total asshole in order to drive somebody to can be the very best they can, can be. I just, yeah. just ask them here. Look at the world we live in. I mean, mediocrity mm-hmm. is celebrated. Right. It is. It is encouraged. Mm-hmm. It is celebrated. Certainly, never certainly don't celebrate it. It is. No, but it is. It is celebrated. And this movie rejects that completely. And this right. this teacher, in a sense, I think, at least the way I read him, he is desperate to see that great, 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 great student that he's ever had. That mm-hmm. you know, transcendent. Holly Bird. That Charlie Bird he's never, that he's never had. Mm-hmm. Yes, he's mm-hmm. desperate to see that. And, and he says the, Charlie Bird will be, will put up with that. Charlie Bird right. will put up with all of that abuse. Absolutely it wouldn't right. get and to him because his soul is so is so pure and his drive is is off the charts. So uh, I'm sorry to interrupt you there, Bosch, but oh. I, I, Amy, I wanted to piggyback on your uh, good job thing. I totally when Leonard Peikoff said that I said the same thing. I use that term too too much because I'm a manager and a leader, and I'm try, always trying to encourage people, and that's just not it, that's I'm thinking about. Well, I'm rethinking that to, now because yeah, it's it's yeah, pat, pats on the back are nice, you know, especially when yeah. they're earned. De- wanting and demanding very high standards is, it calls for a different vocabulary. You know what? And just one thing also about about the, the teacher again. You know, we live in this world, and it, you know, the world's closing in on him in a lot of ways. I mean, he's out of that school. He's and he needs to believe this kid is what he thought he might be, he, and it's almost desperate. You know what I mean? He's almost pissed off, and he challenges him yeah. to the point where he wants to destroy him at the end. No doubt about it. But a part of him probably says, yeah. "If you can take this, 
if you can come back, if you can do something transcendent, wow. That's right. I need to see it. And he sees it. Yeah. And there's a certain point where he absolutely recognizes this is something that is going to be talked about for a mm-hmm. long time. And I, yeah. was, I had to do something with this. I, I, I played a part in this. I just, I don't know. The way they, the way this guy told stories so intimately and as you say, mm-hmm. it's true. Each and every scene, it's you are following this kid. Everywhere. And the kid is not fully sure. He just knows he wants to join me. He wants to be the quote-unquote best, whatever that means to him. And yeah. uh, again, it's just... One of the greats, we, right? One of the greats. One, I mean, the the, the, the family scene with the two cousins, you know, oh, I man. just thought that was just... <laughs> It was great. Unbelievable, because they're just walking all over him. You know, he's ready to tell his story, and nobody cares. They're just walking nope. all over him. And being nope. a third, you know, third level, you know, football jock is is obviously way more important, you know. It was also one moment where at the end, when uh, when he goes, when he leaves the stage and goes, you know, goes and he meets his father, his father runs to meet him because his father wants to, you know, he, he, sees, yeah. he sees that his son's hurt and hugs him, and then he just turns right back and goes out there. And when he's yeah. in, that, in, in that transcendent moment, his father's looking through the Father door. sees him in action. And that expression, he's in awe. Yeah. His father yeah. is in absolute awe. Mm-hmm. He goes, that's my son. And you look yeah. at his face. It's so, pri- it's so full of pride. It's powerful. Yeah. I mean, it's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. Yeah, that was a that was a Billy Elliot uh, scene that yes. uh, that that I thought that which yes. was yes. A, a movie that I kind of reacted Ab- similarly to uh, with, with this. The Same father way. has no idea that he yeah. has a genius. He's raising a genius, yeah. and and right. until he actually sees it, you know, in action, yeah. and and that that scene was so powerful. I as loved it. Bosch. It's so <laughs> important that he put it in there. It really is, because yeah. it was something extra, unexpected, because the movie is great as it is. And on top of that, it keeps yeah. adding this layer of value over yeah. and over again. Like, my God, this kid's great. And the director... And just on the on the nature of the teacher, I got to admit, I, I was a ballet dancer for, for many years, and my Russian-trained teacher had so much in common with this guy. I saw dozens of girls, young girls, and then even adults, storm out in tears in the middle of class. She was so abusive. And that's just, you know, I always thought to myself, I felt sorry for those girls, but I felt like that's, you know, they're they're right. not. They're, I, they no. won't be on stage at uh, in the right. Metropolitan Opera House. Right. And look, sorry, this, this movie also shows you what it takes to be the best. It shows <clears> you, <throat> I mean, literally, this kid is suffering. I mean, at a certain point, so he is, he's, he's hurting himself almost. He's bleeding, literally. And then he puts yeah. his hand with the ice. He puts his hand in ice like... Oh, what, the car. Like I mean, the car. Conflict. The nature of conflict. One conflict after another. That was Victor Hugo level. You know, where they just, every conflict was thrown at him. Every obstacle. And he didn't even say, no, the bus got a flat no. tire. I had to rent the car. Absolutely. This and that. No, he just he went, showed up. Old carrot top to move back. You know, yep. <laughs> and, you, know you know what I expected. Was it? I mean, I, and yeah. and that was the other thing—the nature of the rivalry between the two. Oh, uh, yeah. the, you know, the other drummers, how how yep. disrespectful they treated him in almost every yeah. single scene. You know, the yeah. the 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 you know well, well, the, the envy. Well, a, you know, was, we're in the age of envy, no, and you totally thought he was a serious threat, and they knew that. Yeah. They knew That's that this right. guy is right. probably better than me. No doubt about it. But you know, you know what I this this just kind of is a tribute to the writer as well. And the writer was the director was yeah. the writer, right? Yeah. But um the uh at that scene with the car accident and everything, 
I expected that the twist and turn was, well, you know, he's so dedicated that he would have nearly gotten killed in order to get there on time and that somehow this is Mm going to turn the teacher and he's going to change. I I didn't know where it was going. The idea that he would walk out from that car accident and then go and play and then the guy would just have like no sympathy for him and totally (laughs) kick him out. That was just unfathomable to me. It's powerful. It it is taking it to the absolute extreme dedication. He's like, no matter what, he's bleeding, he's hurt, he's broken, whatever. He has to be mm-hmm. that's that's his focus that's his life without that you know yeah. as far as he's concerned he's he's nothing yeah by the way the yeah. director writer is uh, Damien Chazelle I think that's how you pronounce it Chazelle okay that's right I can't, Chazelle. Wait watch, yeah. I can't wait to watch this guy's movies I mean he said something in an interview um, last week or two weeks ago about uh, other movies that he had in mind someone said do you have films well he goes I had some bigger films in mind but I wasn't sure if I could make them and I think I can make them now because yeah, people are going to let him do it. I mean, yeah. he's being I think so, yeah. Now, do you know what they've made on this movie? I mean, obviously the budget is low, so right they now. have a chance to have made some decent money. Me, It'd be nice to know see, that it is so they're achieving some watching. success. Yeah. It is so good. Yeah, I, mean, I, I don't, must have on don't know. And it's been around here. It's in at least yes, five theaters in New York. And I project into the future, like you know, on Fandango.com, you can see... You know, because I'm lining up viewings with friends, and it's going to be around, you know, th- certainly through the end of the year. I think it's actually going to pick up steam because it's an underground, so. you know, it's like a Howard Rock building. You know, there's, a, there's yes. an underground uh, a fan base. And also, yep. the, 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 uh, I saw this in one of the interviews because there's a bunch of good ones on, on YouTube. Um, one of them said that the, the art, you know, the, the, between the Oscars and, and the awards givers, and I think T.J. Simmons is going to walk off with the with the uh, with, with Best Supporting Actor award. Uh, but they're very sympathetic to artistic stories, you know. And, right. And Regardless, even if he's a foul is, you know, this, anti-PC, right? Even if that, that and, and yeah, that's yeah, all. with that, right, right. Even even with that in there. Yeah. So, and it's interesting because you know we talk about we talk about the the uh, the teacher and how he doesn't miss anything. There was one person in the whole movie, one musician in the whole movie, who actually got over on him. That didn't that didn't pay <laughs> that didn't pay uh, pay a price, um, the, uh, and he stayed yeah. straight through. That was uh, I don't know if you guys know, but I I could just say. Um, the one who was out of tune, the guy with the long hair yes. and the beard. Yes. Uh, you know when 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 he tossed right. out the Mars bar guy. Yes. guy. Right. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, but he condemned the guy because he didn't know he he didn't know if he was out of tune or not, and that was enough to you know get him out of there. I know, but I know, but no, he dramatized that there. point. Yes. The other yes. guy got away with it yes. and stayed through the whole movie. Like he went, yes, you yes. know, he he was in every every you know every. Studio scene, you know, and right. and which he must been it's worth it. like it's been... like a slight subtlety that that guy got away with it, but I'm I'm sure he, you know, I'm sure he got his own abuse at some other that. point. Uh, they all did. Yeah. One thing. Well, yeah. I mean, in, in, a, in a way, though, right? If he sits there out of tune, then he provides the opportunity for the guy to push and grill yeah. other people, yeah. right? right? So it's, it's like, it's, it's not, a, not a foil exactly, but... The movie cost but... uh, $3.3 million, and okay. it made $4,800,000, which is sad. This is a big picture. I mean, this is a big yeah. movie, and it deserves a wide audience, and I hope it gets nominated. If it gets nominated, even if they don't win or not, people will say, okay, I, let me check this out, and there will be a, a fury to watch it. There, there would, be, there would be, and then DVD sales, Blu-ray sales would explode probably. Yeah, I think DVD, it'll it's do very good. well. Because people in the middle of the country can also relate yeah. to it, but it's it's probably not even showing oh, in, yeah. in 
in small, you know, anyone, smaller cities. Anyone who loves excellence, anyone who loves, you know, the idea of being the best in anything, will cannot help but just love this guy's uh, journey. Yeah, and, it, it and he what? and heroes. Yeah. I mean, to, to me, that's the Absolutely. other, the other, you know, that's my, you know, my theme in life is hero worship, and I can't remember seeing a movie that just shows pure hero worship in the proper sense, uh, dramatized so well. No. That Buddy Rich is his hero. This right. teacher is his hero. His father's a different kind of hero, but yeah. you know, is still he totally respects the father, you know, and yes, and does. and you know doesn't him. doesn't rip on him. Yeah, he lo- he totally loves him, but uh, but that's a different kind of you know hero worship. But you know, a, number one was Buddy Rich. Then the story of um, of Charlie Yubbard Parker, uh, you know, having the symbol thrown right. at him, and then. As a as a different kind of hero, and and he just he used each one to climb his ladder, you know, to the next to the next rung until until he reached the top. And then he does that that again that epic <laughs> drum down. I mean, it's just it's unbelievable, beautifully done. Yeah, yeah, absolutely beautiful. Yeah. No, I was def- definitely happy to go see that movie, and I wish there were more movies like that, but they're just. Well, this guy will make more movies. Now, and I hope this is who he is. I think that I think this is yeah. who he is. I think this is the director. I think this since it's his story. He actually went to a music school. He brought everything That's into right. it. I don't. I, I can't see him this being a fluke. I think this is a guy is a great filmmaker. And let's see. Right. Let's see. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Let's hope there are scripts. <laughs> good. You oh, know, good man. enough Please. out there as well. Or maybe he's got to. You know, he's got to do that side. Uh, huh? Uh, also, because yeah, the dialogue, the the, oh. the dialogue is so. There's not a wasted word. You know, no. you think of for playing. You know, nothing here is accidental. And and right. even the even when the boy is given up playing the drums, and it's the summer, and he yes. walks around, you see the guy playing on top of the yes. you know, the, the the cans, uh, the, yep. the plastic cans. Yep. And so that's you know that's a nice dark vibe there. But it's well, no showing doubt. that yeah, on all levels. This, this this guy knows what he's doing. Nothing is accidental in, in Nothing. this film. Uh, everything no, is this kid, absolutely in there for a reason. This guy's great, Chazelle. He's great. Yeah. And uh, mm-hmm. I can't wait to see his next movie. I mean, whenever that's going to be out, but incredible. And and yeah, to be to be nominated, that will be something. Screenplay, di- director, actor, yeah. um, sporting actor. I hope so. And we're going to get to see the I can guarantee. The um the Academy Awards are going to be hosted by what's yeah. his name? Um, uh, Harris. Uh, what's his name? Patrick. Patrick. Neil Patrick Harris. Harris. Neil Patrick Harris. Right. Neil Patrick Harris. Oh, okay. Which will be so much fun. Yeah, he'll be like. So yeah. have a have 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 a decent fun host and actually have the hope of a good movie getting attention. I just nice. it will be so it's it's almost I feel like. What it'll be such a letdown if it's, if it's not, because it, it deserves to be on that stage more than most yeah. movies, and I yeah. hope it is. Hope it is. Yeah, you know, you know I've seen several other movies this year. I can't remember any of them. You know, yeah. I can't if and especially if it's not a you know Marvel superhero remake. No, this, I, I, I really you? can't remember uh, what I saw because this drowns out. <laughs> it just this drowns out you, whatever I saw, head, and it's going to be the next. Movies I see as well. So, Look, it, and there are some good movies coming out. I mean, Clint Eastwood oh, sure. got one. There's a couple of war, you know, war oh, uh, 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 that 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 are coming out that I think uh, are, are going to be good. But 
but yeah, this is this is it's it's definitely uh, rare and yeah. um, like Bosch says, oh. yeah, I'm I'm I can't wait for his more you know oh, more man. stuff, you know more creative stuff from him. I want a I want the Oscars to do the right thing, uh, and and the other the other awards because now it's we're almost seeing a shift. It kind of reminds me a little bit of the Fountainhead, how you had the AGA initially was the stuffy you know they they were the top thing, and then all of Tui's little you know, little awards ended coming up. And now we have these different awards, and they actually have prestige, and they tend to even affect uh, how the Academy Awards work. So so um, I think it'll do well in these lower-level ones uh, also, right. which, which, you know, any kind of, you know, victory that causes wider audiences to see it. And this guy to put more money in his pocket and, and oh, yeah. uh, is, is certainly... Uh, Certainly just. Well, once it uh, once it comes out on DVD, Blu-ray, whatever, we'll promote it on the show again for sure. Also, we should we should cut off one, pretty soon here. One last thing. I <laughs> hope he doesn't end up like uh, Florian Henkel von Donnersmark, who directed The Lives of Others, which is a great film. It's a great film. Yeah. And then he follows yeah. it up with doing a Johnny Depp, Angelina Jolie, silly spy comedy right. adventure movie something that sucked. I mean I now I, oh sorry, I didn't watch it, but I I can't watch Johnny Depp. My cousin saw it, he said it was it was it was horrific. He was like shocked. Now this is a number of years ago. Now this guy still might have it in him, but he did something silly. He makes a great film and then cashes in by making some some two stars movie and just blows it. Well, I hope this guy doesn't. Yeah, do it. I hope he doesn't let's not even put that out in the universe. I know I just I, I thought about that guy because that Lives of Others was a great film. So Robert, we think I know you you're saying, for... and it's a legitimate fear. It's definitely a yeah. legitimate fear, but uh, I, somehow I think this guy is is. I think so that, too. You know? I think he's special. Yeah. I'm gonna I'm mm-hmm. gonna compare you. I'm gonna pair, compare you to Dominique for saying that. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> we got this good guy. Let's just let's just take it for what it is, and let's not buy trouble. Okay. What I'm saying here is, look, look at where we live in. We have this beautiful film. Yeah. Powerful, mm-hmm. epic. It's a small film, but it is it is as epic as 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 any film out there, and it's just it's yeah. surprising. I mean, it really is. I mean, as soon as Leonard mentioned it, we went out and said, "Holy, wow!" Mm-hmm. That's awesome, definitely. Yeah. Good. Well, thank you, Robert, for Thanks, Robert. hanging out. And uh, it's one thirty in the morning over here, and I'm still wired. I know, wow. <laughs> I know. So it's I hope playing that- right now. That's right. Go get go catch the show in New York. In New York, you can do that. Probably, extra yeah. time, yeah. Thank you for the extra time, uh, Thanks, Amy Bosch. I really appreciate. It. Great, and we'll Good we'll dessert. talk with you next week. Yep. Okay. Okay. Bye bye now. Bye bye. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. <laughs> 